Hey guys, it's the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. I'm here with my good friend, Samuel Pierce, or Sam Pierce as I know him. Uh, Sam and I got into a lot of trouble in college. Yeah. And I, I think we continue to get in trouble <laughs> in our respective fields. Uh, Sam, can you tell the audience at home a little bit about what you do and what you study? Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I, I, I've, um, my background's kind of looking at um, wetland and aquatic ecosystems and how they function and uh, affect uh, downstream uh, water quality, um, um, as as well as um, you know, human uh, values of the systems. Uh, one, one of the things that I, I wanted to stress in my research was that um, in order to preserve ecosystems, that they have to um, have some sort of value that people can place upon them. Um, so I, I did a lot of work with that. Uh, primarily, though, is looking at, at water quality issues. Um, uh, most of my research originally was related to uh, the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, looking at uh, excess nutrients going out into the Gulf. And since then, I've kind of branched out and looked at a few other things as well. Uh, currently, I am uh, an air quality inspector for the state of Indiana. Cool. What, uh, what, what's most exciting about the field, the stuff that you're dealing with now? Not necessarily what you have to do for work, but like mm -hmm. the, the stuff that's most intriguing to you mentally. Yeah, the thing that kind of blew me away, um, it, it's sort of twofold. Uh, the, the, the first part is the uh, cumulative sort of like total of these small pollutants that add up. I never considered, um, you know, I mean, it's, I knew this a long time ago, but, but, but going to this job kind of reinforced, like take dry cleaners, for instance, you know, there's, there's dry cleaners in every town and um, they produce some of the worst pollutants, worst air pollutants and water pollutants um, that are around but because they're, they're mom and pop places, you know, they, they can't be viable and, and still do a good job controlling those pollutants. Yeah. Um, little things like that add up. Uh, one thing that really blew my mind was in every vehicle today, there is a fume recirculation system that recondenses. So when you pump your gas, right, the, the liquid gasoline goes into the place, but when it does that, it displaces the gas that was in the tank, right? That gas has yeah. to go somewhere. That gas is full of fumes. Uh, those fumes are uh, uh, either pumped back into a facility at the gas station um, or pumped back into your car, recondensed and recycled. So um, the thing is, we're at such a point technologically now that I really think we don't have any, any good excuses to say um, wh why we can accept um, pollutant levels that might, might be unhealthy. Not even that are, are proven to be unhealthy, but that may be unhealthy. Yeah. It's the, the financial risk versus reward. It, it's, it's just, it's better to be on the safe side. That, that's one thing that I've really learned because yeah. little things that you don't think will add up, uh, they can really uh, accumulate and, and become overwhelming. Yeah, larger issues. 
I um, have friends who are heavily invested in Tesla and Elon Musk's ventures. Uh, they're really excited for solar panels and cars that aren't fueled by fossil fuels, um, sort of pushing some of that technology. But it's the cumulative effect of every person on earth throwing a tin can on the ground yeah. that from a issue of scale, you know, makes this, this huge, just overwhelming issue. Um, I think that there are answers to the problems. The challenges I think come in with not only economic expediency. So having structures in place to be able to reap a profit off of making good decisions, but also getting the public involved in those uh, decisions, making it part of their, uh, their cumulative interest to do things that are environmental interests. Right. I mean, we, you know, we can, um, you know, we can put pressure on, you know, BP or U.S. Steel, obviously, you know, um, because, you know, they're, they're major polluters, but, you know, they're also, you know, major manufacturers. They produce things we need and jobs that people, are, people's livelihoods, you know. So, you yeah. know, we, we can put pressure on them to an extent. Um, it is a lot harder to modify people's individual behavior. And uh, that, I mean, that's one of the reasons that, that, that really um, the last stop gap is, is regula regulations, you know? I mean, at some point you have to uh, take a regulatory approach at, at whatever point you can. Um, I mean, look at like, like look, look at the whole Volkswagen case, you know, where they were required to build vehicles of certain efficiency um, and then they didn't. And you have all these people who are specifically buying Volkswagens because they think, oh, this is environmentally friendly. But the company, you know, is bilking everyone. Yeah. Um, so I, I looked into, into the, the whole idea of, you know, public perception and, and uh, how do people view, uh, you know, certain environmental aspects. And and here's the thing is the public is always going to say, oh, the environment's super important. I, I, did, um, I did an analysis of a survey in Mississippi, which, you know, conservative state. There was an overwhelming majority of individuals. It was only 500 people. It was a you know, phone poll. It wasn't great. But the, the majority of people uh, said that they had no problem taking certain economic um, disincentives, I guess, you know, to improve the environment. Yeah. But they want to, but to actually change people's behavior is hard. And in mass, it just gets exponentially harder. Yeah. Um, so uh, like with regard to pollution in a lot of ways, what, what we really have to do is, is not, not necessarily put it off on everybody. I, I think that's, I think that's sort of um, misinformation. You know, like we're all part of the problem. Well, I'm, obviously we are, you know, and we can make better purchases and things like that. Um, but ultimately our choices overall are gonna be dictated by, you know, what we decide as a whole, as a society and our representatives decide is okay. And so um, I've been, uh, a, a little 
little confused at the, the recent um, executive moves, rolling back a lot of environmental regulations and, and not because, um, because they're not because they're going to harm the environment. I, I think almost as surely they are, but because when you do that, you actually make things a lot harder for the um, companies or uh, landowners, for instance, farmers have a hell of a time yeah. because, you know, they own large tracts of land. And so um, they have the potential to cause a lot of environmental destruction, but they can't afford to hire, uh, you know, a consultant. Yeah. So, so basically they have to run personal communication with people to let them know what's okay and what's not. And the more th these regulations are altered, the harder it becomes for people who have to deal with them to know if they're breaking the law or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. you, get, you get people who have the best intentions um, because, you know, say, uh, you know, Trump passed an executive order. And so from now on, if I want to fill a ditch on my property, right, why shouldn't I be able to, right? It sounds yeah. reasonable. Um, okay. Maybe I should be able to, but simply because the rule was changed now, it, it's going to cause confusion. Yeah. And so I, I really have an issue with that. Um, I think anytime you make any sort of environmental um, legislation or, or even, um, even a regulation that's not law, you know, there's like a difference law and regulation, but um, I think that has to be very thoughtful about both the environmental impact and how it's going to affect the, the industry. And sometimes like the whole idea of deregulating to improve the industry it sometimes doesn't work out that way. Yeah. There's a difference between um, mass scale agriculture and a family farm right. in the, the level of damage they can potentially do. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be regulations on both because I assume for general public protection, there should be. While at the same time, if you try to regulate them like they're the same, the burden falls on the individual family farmer because he doesn't have the resources, the lobbyists, right. you know, yeah. And, and, and the thing is, it, it you know, I don't, I don't want to kind of, uh, you know, undermine um, the, the validity of environmental regulations, but a lot of them aren't based upon hard science. Do you know what I mean? Um, from what I've learned in air quality, especially, that's a great example because you know, back in the 70s, Congress was like, you know, the cities are full of smog, people are, asthma is going up, you know, uh, heart problems, all kinds of uh, respiratory pulmonary issues. And we're like, we have to clean up the air. So, you know, the whole EPA was formed um, and, you know, one of their initial charters was to set standards for what is acceptable, you know, or different, you know, air. Well, so they started off and there were like eight things they were looking at, eight, you know, air quality, like lead and asbestos and, um, uh, you know, uh, oxidized nitrogen, sulfates and I forget the other part, different particular sizes and things like that. So, um, and then Congress is like, well, you know, there's all these organics. So they added uh, like 80 more things to the list. 
And he is going, we, we can't do this. We don't, we don't know. We don't, this stuff's probably bad for you, but we don't know what it does. You know, there's yeah. no, there's no amount of research where you can like, you know, test that much stuff in a period of, you know, 10 or 15 years and really figure out what's going on. And, and so basically what they did was like, we think this stuff is bad for you. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to put a limit on how much you can put out based upon the current technology. And so since, you know, you know, basically kind of the 80s, that's what we've been doing, you know, because uh, it's like, well, the company can still make a lot of money and they can put these control devices on and it's like 98% of the stuff's gone. So perfect, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, they didn't really know, you know, exactly what the problem was, but they just saw a problem and they fixed it. And I think, yeah, I think to some extent we kind of have to look at it that way because we're never going to be able to, to pin down, you know, uh, the exact toxicology yeah. of, of especially new chemicals, you know, that are coming out. Like, remember when the, the soap came out and had those micro scrub things in it? Oh, the remember little that? micro beads or yeah, whatever. Yeah, the micro beads. And everyone's yeah. like, well, this is cool. And then what, five, within five years, people are like, uh, there's micro beads in my fish meat. Yeah. You know, so they, you never know. There's no way you can like test everything perfectly. You just have to keep a, a check on everything, you know? Yeah. It's, it's just a question of scale. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't get overly, overly involved in political discussions. Yeah. And when people talk to me about it, they're like, well, why, you know, part of being a good citizen is your voting mm -hmm. record, you know, and I'm like, listen, I'm so involved in my business, in my industry, right. and the regulation involved just in this industry, that when I look at the level of corruption that just exists in my industry, oh, yeah. now let's exponentially build it to the point of like multinational corporations and tax havens and the Cook Islands. Yep. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I don't have that time for that much stress. It's like, the regulations as I see it, at least in my industry, and granted, mm -hmm. massage is a relatively innocuous um, activity. Mm -hmm. There's not a huge death toll. There's not a huge injury toll. There's, I'm sure those things have happened before. So what I see is the regulations are put in place by regulators and by school owners to prevent competition. Oh, yeah. And to oh, prevent yeah. competition across state lines, oh, not yeah. necessarily to protect the public, although that's also always the rally cry. When you're talking about, you know, CAFOs and feedlots and, you know, agribusiness, that is not Joel Salatin right. trying to do regenerative, regenerative agriculture. I can't even say it. <laughs> like grass-fed, you know, like grazing, like pasturing animals from feedlot, you know, not feedlot, um, from pasture to pasture. It's a very different thing, but he still has to deal with that level of regulation. So, mm -hmm. for instance, just in my industry, um, you're not supposed, for the most part, a lot of states are blocking online education. <laughs> and they're blocking online education uh, yeah. because they say, well, it's, here's, okay, it's here's massage. You have to do it in person. And I'm like, uh, this here's isn't 1980. <laughs> this, this, is what, this is what it all boils down to. What you're saying right now, yeah. this, all this boils down to is, is, is something, and I don't know if I'm just getting older and, and I'm more aware of it, 
or if it's actually, you know, something that has been increasing. And, and I don't, I, I, I'm not even sure I would research this, but there does seem to be a trend um, with uh, this whole idea that uh, opinions are equally valid. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so somebody who is a lawyer and, and gets hired into political office, um, his opinion about massage is just as good as yours, you know? Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's no real, uh, communication with the, with the regulated community. You know what I'm saying? So like, um, with, with what I do with air quality now, for example, there's no way we could get away with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's no way we yeah. couldn't harass like BP, you know? And, you know, oh, you, you, yeah, well, your, your permit looks okay, but we missed this part. And this, this is still in the regulations. you got to do this. Yeah. They're not going to stand for that. But, you know, you, what, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? If you are unfairly regulated, you have no recourse. Which, again, gets back to, like, agribusiness and what I think of right. as, like, Joel Salatin, because he's right. the most famous that I know of. Um, it's like he's such a statistical anomaly, like the rules don't really fit his paradigm. For mm -hmm. me, I went, okay, I'm doing something different. It helps people in pain and helps the mobility. I got to get the word out. I can't get massage therapists to do it because there's no facility that would allow what I'm doing. It doesn't matter that it's effective. Right. It doesn't matter that I consider it a superior service. It's like I don't want to run the brick and mortar. And I'm like, okay, so if we're not going to do that, then – well, you can scale information online. You can have a podcast. You can have video. Yeah. You can teach online. We're doing multi-camera live streams. I'm losing my mind trying to figure out video editing software and all this stuff. And they keep going, well, wait, you can't, you can't learn massage online. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's yeah, like it's, it's so easy to distribute information. It's like do that. But the regulation is like they're, they're trying to gatekeep a gate that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. It's, it's the thing is, you know, Oh, it's a fine line between, you know, uh, you know, keeping people in check and repress. It's not a fine line. It's a wiggly fucking line. It's not a straight line. You know what I mean? And it's not that fine. It's yeah. thick in spots, but, but, um, yeah, you, you have to, you know, you have to take into consideration, the need because if there's no need why are you even spending money on it much less like limiting this person's ability to do things that might be good you know yeah well the thing is there's nothing illegal about me teaching online it gets to this point where the state won't accept the ce credits this continuing education mm -hmm. credits unless mm -hmm. it goes through a like an organization or regulatory right. or certification body yeah. And I'm like, why do I have to keep giving these people more money when, like, I just go on my computer and press a button and teach people? Like, yeah. why, why do you care what they say? And it's like, well, you know, but we have to have somebody who's an authority speak for it. And I'm like, mm -hmm. this isn't creating environmental pollution. <laughs> right, like, right. They're not like rogue massage therapists just running around killing people all over the United States and yeah, worldwide. I, you know, <laughs> um, I, I, I get the idea of it. You know, like, you know, here's a credible um, overseer who's saying, you know, okay, Robert's not ripping out somebody's ACL or something. You know what I mean? I mean, I get the idea of it, but at the same time, 
Um, what's the bigger picture? You know what I mean? Who, if, benef uh, who benefits <laughs> financially from the way the laws are written? <laughs> I mean, I mean, at, at some point, there's so many goddamn rules now. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. being being a white man in America, I feel like I've got twice as many as anybody else. And I half the time I don't even know what they are. You know, yeah. it's like um, like shit used to be. Things are way better now. I believe than they've ever been as far sure. as for most people, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. So, you know, I'm not, not arguing that there, there's, they're still massively messed up. And I explain this to people regularly, like they're still massively, massively not equitable, but mm -hmm. would anybody choose to live a hundred years ago? Mm -mm. No, <laughs> maybe like, you know, maybe like somebody who, you know, some white guy from a wealthy family. Yeah. But that's you know, it. Like, oh yeah. I would have had a great, you know, but yeah. Most everybody else is like, oh, that, that wasn't good, you know? Yeah. Um, but, so, I mean, I think we, we, we do need, you know, I think in America especially, because there's no ethos here, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I haven't traveled abroad a lot, you know, but, but I, I remember talking to one of my friends from Japan, and uh, he, he was just like, yeah, we, we don't do that in Japan. I was like, oh, yeah? He's like, no, 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 nobody does that. I was like, why not? He's like, we just don't. We all know. Yeah. But not here. In America, the whole idea of being an American is you do whatever the fuck you want to whenever you want to fucking do it. You know? Yeah. That, that's kind of what we do, you know? And, and so we don't have like a, anything to really unify us besides the fact that, that we're not unified. You know? We, we just kind of like all want our freedom. That's, that's the main thing, you know? The United States is a young country. I feel like we're a teenager who's pimply just trying to figure it out still. Like we haven't oh, been yeah. drowned as long as, as Germany. But we're we're not as, like the Roman like, Empire. Like, no, we're like the we're like the goddamn, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh quarterback star uh, of the high school team. You know what I mean? <laughs> We've got like, you know, three three girlfriends that don't know about each other, uh, from different towns. <laughs> Uh, we're taking money under the table, you know, we got a, we got a scholarship and we're getting, you know, paid 10 grand a year and they gave us a car, you know, that's yeah. kind of how America is. Hmm. Yeah. People have asked me in, in my specific industry, you know, and I, I think of my industry as being related to the biological sciences, just because of dealing with pain and chronic pain management related to human nervous systems. And when I look at the regulation, you know, I've had conversations. I run an event in Austin until COVID hit called Time Massage Jam. And Time Massage Jam was just blow open the doors, let anybody who wants to come in and I teach them. So I show you and your wife how to work on each other. Right, I might yeah. work on you a little bit. You might work on me a little bit, but I create a safe space for you to ask questions, teach you a little bit of musculoskeletal anatomy, show you how to work on each other. Mm -hmm. Everybody understands it's not creating rogue therapists who are just running out doing massage yeah, without a license. It's just for the public education. It's like mm -hmm. anybody can learn to change the oil, but once the mechanic has showed you how to change the oil, you tend to trust them. Business grows, you know, right, through word yeah. of mouth. Right, yeah. So I had young people who were 19 years old going, this is awesome. This is like the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. I wanted, I want to do this for a living. And I go, 
okay, uh, you probably need to go to massage school. And they're like, oh, but they don't teach what you teach. And I'm like, no, <laughs> but I'm continuing education. Right. And they're like, oh, but I don't want to learn how to do that. And I'm like, I don't make the laws. They right. do. <laughs> have, you, um, have you ever considered like um, maybe uh, contacting uh, like a, a medical researcher or something and, and, and doing a few like long-term uh, you know, case studies or something? I, I don't have the contacts for it. I'm not opposed to it. Um, if anything, I get flack in my industry because there's, there's a big trend. I see it in America, but I see it in more so in my industry. They're, they want magic. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, what kind of essential oils do you use? And I'm oh. like, why is science not good? Why is the, the not the question mark, the big, the Carl Sagan, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Bill Nye, the science guy, why isn't the this double blind research and science, like the hard work of science, not elevated to the status of myth? Yeah, it's like, yeah. why, do you, why do you want magic and I energetically reiki on people? You know, right. it's like, I'm very pro-science. The problem is the entire healthcare system and the way that it operates is generally set up to patent a pharmaceutical medication because sure. it can be mass produced, right. which in my case, I deal primarily with chronic pain. We have an opiate epidemic in the United States. Mm. The problem is you can't mass produce what I do in the same right. way to make it profitable. So mm. it's not just what the science says, it's the research that's actually performed because that's where the money comes from for the yeah. research. Yeah. yeah. Um. I, I I have to believe that like if um if you could find you know the right person um you you, you could get an advocate I think on your side to at least sure. like get get some stuff in print you know to kind of like say well you know, we got evidence you know that over I don't know three months six months or whatever uh this this works you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, because the thing is, if what you're doing works, um, the people who you do it to are obviously going to be, oh, this works. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, some, some people are going to see what you're doing and know enough just about, you know, mechanics and you know, anatomy and stuff to say, I can see where that's going to be helpful. Um, but a lot of people are going to be skeptical and, and, um, uh, yeah, I just think, I don't know. I mean, it may not be even, you know, it might, you might strike out, you know, but I think it would be worth the effort to maybe kind of look into uh, anybody in your area who's doing a pain research and just, you know. Over time, I mean, even the podcast is a part of that reaching out to a larger, broader right, yeah. community. In, in Thai massage circles specifically, which is really what I come out of, they're very big on lineage and tradition. Mm -hmm. And I went, what about research and clinical experimentation? And they're like, no, tradition, the Buddha. And I'm like, yo, bro, the Buddha didn't have antibiotics. All right. Well, like, dude, that's like I think it eases heart. suffering. <laughs> you, never, you never, you never, like, didn't you say Taekwondo for like a, a couple months or something? I mean, you never got into mm -hmm. martial arts, did you? No, not I specifically. Did, I did yeah. karate for a couple of years, you know, and, and like, um, yeah, I just remember there, there, there was this feeling like you're loyal to the school you know what i mean yeah. like you're loyal to to 
the guy who developed this. Never mind, he took three different martial arts and merged them together, you know? Yeah. Back in the 30s. Not even that old. Yeah, if you just take the biomechanics of time massage mm -hmm. and you're me and you ask questions and go, huh, what does the research say? Right, yeah. What does, you know, clinical, yeah, I've got clinical experience and I got some ideas, but like, what does the research say? That was enough to make me a heretic. And I go, listen, yeah. if you don't want your shit to be science-based, I don't want to be involved. Like, this yeah. is not how, this is not how the world works. Like, well, it's like research MMA is came good. Along, right? Yeah. MMA came along and all of a sudden, all these Wing Chun guys, you know, who are, you know, throwing out like 15 punches in a second are getting their asses kicked by somebody who puts them in an ankle block. And everybody's like, huh? <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> un un until you test what tradition doesn't mean shit, you know, until you test it, you know, it, well, it, it's worked. Okay. It, oh, well, it's worked for this. Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe it did. I mean, it's like, unless you are there specifically, it's really hard to judge the, the credibility of somebody else's tradition. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, and traditions come from somewhere you know they, they evolve and change over time like science does change and evolve based on the research and we get rid of murkiness right. for scientific clarity mm. um I, I watch a lot of food documentaries and there was a really interesting documentary about sommeliers and I can't remember if it was Somalier, uh, the first one, or if it was Psalm into the wine, which is like going into these wine regions. Yeah. But I didn't know a lot about uh, law related to wine, related mm -hmm. to, you know, I said, no, 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 it's not champagne. That's only from Champagne region right, in yeah. France. It's sparkling wine. You know, you get into that and there was an American wine producer. And certainly he's looking to the past and he's looking to European traditions, vintage from mm -hmm. wine, to be able to, to glean, one, the genetics for the plants, and two, how to tend to the winemaking process. But in the end, he goes, listen, I'm in California. I'm, I'm trying to make American wine. It only goes so far to me trying to reiterate what's been done in a totally different climate in a yeah. totally different region. Yeah. And that is the perfect template for what I'd been trying to do. Like I'm a person who, who grew up with food and I had the food network and iron chef, you know, and that. it was like yeah. Hiroyuki Sakai came out and completely blew my mind because it was like, wow, he's using French techniques on like Japanese ingredients. Yeah. You know, and he's, he's making this hybrid, like, fusion cuisine that's never existed. That's way harder to do. You think, oh, well, you just know this, and then you know this. No, putting them together <laughs> is a whole different level, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like somebody it's, who, like, studied physics, and then they, you know, study biology. It's like, oh, well, I know about, I know about both of those. I'm not a biophysicist. That's yeah. way up here, you know? Yeah. Totally different. It, in, in the end, for me, it was always, okay, I live in America. I'm working with American customers and American clients, you know, how can I help them? And they'd say, man, my, my neck is killing me. And I went, wow, like based on what I've learned, which is mat based, like the table stuff is relatively physically ineffective. Like mm -hmm. it's not helping the customer enough and it's way harder on me. When I started working on people on a mat, their response was like, oh my God, dude, this is fucking amazing. Why isn't this everywhere? And I go, yeah. Oh, because massage therapists tell me it's not massage. <laughs> no, dude, I, I am dead serious. You need to, 
like find an advocate. And honestly, even if they're, you know, not local, yeah. um, if, if a professor's got some resources, they will send a student to Austin. A student, can you imagine a student like, you know, in, in like, you know, um, Salt Lake City? They'd be like, wait, yeah. I get to go to Austin for the next two years? Yeah. <laughs> I want to live in Salt Lake. I mean, in the end, the, the proof was in the pudding. Like, I, I'll joke with students sometimes because I get a lot of flack in my industry for, he's arrogant, he's an asshole, you know, this and that. I've even had people just tell me I'm physically ugly. And I'm like, listen, I did not get to where I'm at in my industry because of my personality or my attractiveness. I got here because it works. <laughs> like, I help people, they pay me money. I teach people, they pay me money. When they do stuff that's effective, you know, it's just repeated iteration and oh, making yeah. it better and streamlining it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, for me, it's like we talked about agribusiness and Joel Salatin. Right. I'm much more along that line. I'm much more yeah. along that, that winemaker in California saying, listen, I'm trying to create California wine. What is California wine compared to old world wine? Mm. And it's not a competition. It's just saying, no, there's more wine for everybody. Wine, right, yeah. we think of as like high class, right? Massage. Mm. Ooh, it's a luxury. It's not for everybody. And I'm mm. like, what? Like, no, we have all the capacity to make this less expensive, more ubiquitous, and available for like the common person, even yeah. if it's just through something like the time massage jam. Like I'm, I'm figuring out the software just so I can stream online and like teach you and your wife at home. Cause I can't do the jam in person because of COVID. So I'm hoping to just be able to live stream from my studio mm. and just show people at home how to work on each other safely. Mm. I can answer their questions. You can do all of this. Regulation doesn't prevent it. But at the same time, what I'm really trying to do, like Joel Salatin, is I'm trying to surpass what people consider the average. I'm yeah. trying to use the technology to distribute information to be able to help people. That's all. So I, I don't mean to be discouraging, you know, but uh, ultimately, dude, you're just going to have to work harder. <laughs> oh, I, that's what I do. That's what it is. That's, <laughs> that's all you got, dude. You're just going to work harder. I mean, that's, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of times, though, when you're right, that's how it works out. Yeah. Marie Curie got a, what, two, two Nobel prizes and, 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 and died from radiation. So, yeah. Well, I mean, unfortunately that was the, uh, the path of discovery at that yeah, time. We, exactly. just, we just didn't know, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, you just, um, it's any, any time, man, you try to do something different. Oh God, I was, I, I when, when you first, like I had been, uh, Okay, so a lot of my, like my you know left winger uh, friends uh, uh, give me shit because I love Joe Rogan, you know. <laughs> he he, he gets the best guests, and what he does is he just asks them questions. Yeah. You know, and this one guy was like, "Oh, Ted Nugent was on there, and he was saying a lot of things that weren't true." I was like, "I don't fucking need a moderator. It's not a yeah. debate. My BS meter goes off. I know what's up." <laughs> I'm more interested in hearing what people have to say and judging for myself, you know, rather than somebody telling me this is correct. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, that being said, um, the, have you heard of the intellectual dark web? This is something that, you know, I didn't really. Wait, so, so apparently, um, I mean, you know, you, you did your little stand with academia and uh, as, as, you know, a philosophy person, I'm sure you were kind of like, looking at the whole system and 
dude. I went to, I went to, dude, we go way back, man. Like, I was, like, I'd sit there in the quad. I'm like, the Exxon Quadrangle. Yeah, I know, right? Like, if that doesn't. (laughs) It makes you think, dude. And and so, um, the, this whole higher education thing. All right. Hopefully nobody's going to watch your show. It's a fucking Ponzi scheme. Okay. (laughs) It is, it is, you know, um, it's, it's basically, uh, the people who get a tenure track, a research position at big universities, um, have to teach, you know, so about half of them can, about half of them can't, uh, they have to research. Maybe uh, 75% of them can actually do that. And they have to get money. And they're going to fire you if you don't get money. You know what I mean? You're, you're not going to be there. So they all yeah. manage to get money. And that's the driving force. Because, I mean, it's just like the thing with the post office. Like people are like, oh, the post office is losing money. No, it's not. It's not losing. It's not a fucking investment. I, you know, I'm not paying taxes so I can get refunds from the post office. Yeah. You know, it's the same reason I pay taxes to... So the roads are, you know, so that people can go bomb people in other countries, you know, I'm not expecting to get money back from that. Yeah. Um, But like everything is not a, everything is not a business. And you as an entrepreneur, you know, you have a very like focused view on that. You know what I mean? Like, because that's your worldview. Some stuff has to be looked at different and you can't look at a college like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, it, it gets to this point, is it a utility? Is it a public utility right. or is it a business? Right. You kind of have to delineate. Yeah. Government, the problem is, well, so like, but when Trump was being, when, when Trump was getting ready for office, basically, people were like, yeah, you know, he's going to run government like a business. And it's like, eh, it's a public utility. Like it, it's designed to, to have a different end goal. You know, yeah. it's like, it's not... Right, like, yeah. for, you know, we have discussions and arguments about healthcare and whether it should be a public utility and treated that way. And I'm certainly open to those debates, but, you know, making sure people have what they need whenever Hurricane Katrina happens. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. people from Louisiana don't really look favorably on FEMA. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. Yeah. Poor George Bush. What a sweet man. <laughs> you know, I mean, really. What a sweet guy. And he's just like, uh, I, I know this guy. He's my buddy. I put him yeah. in the position. Yeah, you know I mean, <laughs> daddy, who should I hire for this position? Yeah, you know I mean, he, he really meant well. You know, I kind of feel bad. No, I don't really feel bad for him because he feels bad enough for himself now. He knows better. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, that, that was, the, the, the degree, um, like uh, having these conversations related to, say, capitalism and socialism, uh, those words are tossed around. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm fully prepared to have somebody on who's a Marxist who just wants to argue, bottom line, there should be no private property. Like, mm-hmm. I'm totally willing philosophically to engage that discussion. But my rent's due on the first. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'll totally play devil's yeah. advocate because I, I am definitely more on, more on a on that camp, you know. Um, yeah. Like I, I totally see the need for competition. I mean, you have to have that. I mean, a, a little bit, you know. Um, yeah. 
at the same time, uh, in a lot, my wife and I were talking about this a couple of nights ago. We were, I was talking about um, intellectual property rights, basically. Oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and you know, okay. So I published okay, not a lot, but you know, plenty of research. You know, once it's out there, it's available. Anybody wants to use it, it's theirs. You know, and, and that was my choice, obviously. Yeah. And besides, I was like, yeah, nobody's gonna pay for the shit. But um, but 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 the idea behind it was okay. Uh, you know, I'm doing this just because I feel the need to do it, you know, just like when, when, when somebody paints a painting, uh, you know, you know, when, when Van Gogh would go out to a field and, and paint, uh, crows on, on the wheat or whatever, he wasn't like, I'm a lot of francs for this or wait, what is it in France? Yeah, francs. You know, he, yeah. he, he was like, I probably won't sell this, but he needed to paint it. And, and like a lot of, a lot of um, stuff is just driven internally, not by that, um, not by that drive to make money. You know, yeah. once people once people get that, they're like, "Oh, thank God, finally, I'm not struggling." Um, and I think a lot of technology is the same way. Um, so, like, you look at the progress of technology over time, and see, this is where I piss off everybody, left wing and right. <laughs> Because it is 98%, I just throw in ballpark, I don't know shit about this, but like 98% of technology uh, has been driven by military investment. That's where technology has always come from. Yeah. So, and, and, and that is strictly a, you know, systemic governmental thing always there's no like you know individual person who's going i'm gonna make an h-bomb so i can get rich you know what i mean <laughs> uh so so i i do agree to an extent that yeah there there has to be a level of competition but when you get to the point where we are right now where you have three or four pharmaceutical companies all spending tons of money working to develop the same thing independently rather than working together and sharing the profits then when that one pharmaceutical company gets it they got what is it 16 years yeah they got 16 years or something like that fuck they want to and fuck society right so everybody who needs this medication we spend a lot of money making this medication our investors want their money back so it's like it's like okay yeah I see that they, they got the product. Can't we maybe just shift things a little bit and give some incentive for these groups to work together, make the product sooner, yeah. come out of the lower, you know what I'm saying? So well, like, I, I mean, really feel like the, like we're, I think we're at a point in the U S right now where we're kind of at a crossroads where it's like, how do we move forward? Because like you said, you shouldn't be regulated, you know, for doing massage stuff. You, I mean, they can sue you if you hurt them. Right. Yeah. I mean, what's the, I, I don't and I have it. insurance and I have insurance for that. Well, it's like uh, car insurance. You, you can't buy car insurance across state lines. Right. Why? 
Because car insurance companies don't want to fight. Yeah. I mean, just to give you an idea, I think we're having a discussion, the degree to which things are socialized uh -huh. and the degree to which things are privatized. And I'm totally willing to, you know, ha have that discussion with people. But my father in particular, he just down with socialism. He just hates socialism. He uses right, that right. word constantly. And I'm like, Dad, the schools are socialized. Yeah. The fire department is socialized. Like right. if my apartment catches on fire, I don't want them to show up with the truck and go give us money or we're going to let it burn. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah exactly. Yeah. The degree, the degree to which, you know, you, yeah. you talked about in the beginning, yeah, and, and, and the degree to which we have freedom. That's what, um, that's what really bothers me is when people make words a boogeyman, you know, <laughs> that bothers me. I mean, you've, you've known me for years, you know, I'm not a racist person. Why do white people have to say the N word now? I mean, it's offensive. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the worst. It's still just a word. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, um. It's only powerful when we give it power. Um, and, and so I kind of, this, this, the whole labeling thing with like socialism and that really bothers me. And the, the, yep. the, the fact, and it, it comes back to this, I don't like using buzzwords, but this whole idea of like cancel culture, it comes back to that. Like you say one thing that a group can perceive as being, um, you know, negative towards them, then all of a sudden you are just, yeah, that's it. You're done. Well, they, it, you it's, like they don't want to hear what you have to say. They don't even want to hear why you think that. Oh, well, I mean, the, the problem is in the United States, I think due to our technology, and I think a lot of the discussions we're having, part of the complexity is, in when i was a child i was born in 1977 we had paper encyclopedias yep now kids have a smartphone and access to global information what's mm -hmm. true now what's true now there's what, a watering what, down it's yeah. um it, it's like there is so much out there okay so look at like i was listening to this interview with rob lowe and uh, he was he was talking about you know 1982 was his first like big break. He was 15. He got on a TV show and he was like he was like there were 62 shows on, not channels, shows. Yeah. You know, period. There were only 62. He's like I know that because I was in number 62, and we were getting 15 million viewers. Like NCIS is the number one show now. It's got like 20 million. Like we have so many options now that it's easy to think this is what I believe and kind of get in that echo chamber. Yep. And, and that, that goes back to what I was like, uh, and kind of mentioned before about the intellectual dark web and this kind of shit bothers me, you know, because, um, have you, you haven't heard of that, huh? No, I'd never heard of it. So, so basically it's, it's like this sort of idea that, um, you know, in academia, if you are an iconoclast, if you, you know, bump up against the establishment, you, you are basically dismissed. Yeah. You know, and yeah, to an extent, you know, um, it's not a conscious thing, though. 
And I think anybody who thinks it is is kidding themselves because they didn't make it. Yeah. Um, uh, is it, it's all based upon money, just like everything else. Yeah. You know, if you're not getting money for your research, you're not doing research. And you're not going to get money uh, if what you think isn't uh, something the people who are already established think this might be you know, feasible, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean yeah, there's entrenchment just like, I mean, just like with a, you know, gasoline powered cars. Once you get yeah. into that, it's really hard to pull out. Um, but I don't think the answer is that, you know, people who think differently need to go into uh, their own little, you know, website or blog post or whatever and get together with everybody who agrees with them and say we're being productive now and we're really we're really working shit out you know because they're not but but that's what's happening now the marketplace that, of ideas has diversified people have internet access and information can flow you know you talked about uh, the use of the n-word but it's like uh, indigenous populations um i currently use TikTok pretty regularly uh -huh. And one of the things that I've been most interested in is most people, I think, just completely dismiss TikTok. One, it's just like there's just 15 year old girls dancing on it. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've noticed about TikTok is their algorithm seems to be very responsive. So it was showing me lots of stuff in my feed re regarding the transgender community and then also the indigenous community. Mm -hmm. The indigenous community in particular completely blew my mind because you had people from different Native American tribes I have never heard of mm -hmm. saying, you know, we prefer to be called indigenous, indigenous TikTok. They're educating me about the culture and traditions of their communities, of which I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing is, it's like it's happening over my smartphone on this little dumb app that's like, you know, the Chinese, we got to shut down TikTok, you know, it's like, in the end, I always go back to, you know, well, what do indigenous people want to be called? Mm -hmm. If they say, listen, just get rid of the Redskins. Well, one, I'm not a football fan. I don't give a shit. Get rid of yeah. it. Like, change the name. Yeah. You can rebrand, you know. It's like Land of Lakes Butter. Eh, you know, I'm like. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But in the end, what I don't like is people's inability to have the debate, to have right. the debate that a society needs. Um, right. There's stuff about American history. Uh, I was watching um, a documentary about James Baldwin on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I think it was called I Am Not Your Negro. And, oh, yeah, yeah. and James yeah, Baldwin, he was, he was so eloquent. He was so mm -hmm. divisive and sort of in your face at a time when it wasn't popular for black people in America to stand up to white people mm -hmm. and tell them off. But he right. did it without attacking them. He mm -hmm. did it by just expressing, listen, these are the frustrations of black people in America. And it's a difficult conversation, but the argument starts to cut meat off of bone. Like yeah. it gets to the core of the issue, which goes back to what you discussed in the beginning, which is freedom. Mm. Lenny Bruce was a comic. Mm. Lenny Bruce fought, you know, to be able to say things on stage oh, yeah. that he was put in jail for. Yeah. You know, uh, comics these days might not, if you're a young upcoming comic who's doing open mics, you might not even know who Lenny Bruce is mm -hmm. because the, the arc has, has gone so long now that it's like, yeah, there aren't comics just telling jokes, you know, just around the time that JFK was assassinated. Right. Like it's a, it's a different era and we have mass global reach. I mean, the comics that I see on TikTok, for instance, being able to put out information. One of the things that I find most disheartening is there aren't enough people of 
um, intellectual stature in the sciences, doing podcasts, making right. making material. Mm -hmm. You know, when when I hear, um, I was laughing last night. I was listening to some uh, little peep who is a, a musician who died, and um, one of the kids in the comments on YouTube said, you know. I can't remember anything I learned in history class, but I know that the lyrics to this entire album. Yeah. And it was like 600 likes or whatever. And it's like, well, that musician produced stuff that pulled on your heartstrings that moved you. Mm -hmm. Why are history professors not producing speeches and monologues that explain to you what happened historically that engage people with that same degree mm -hmm. of like pulling on their heartstrings? Right. The sciences, I, I think the sciences, the biological sciences, which is more what I think you're involved in, mm. I think they're immensely amazing. Um, I'm, I'm even more, I think, pro-science than I was necessarily in college, even though then I was an anti-science. The challenge is you have to be able to have diverse opinions yeah. and you have to be able to actually debate and ferret things out, right. regardless yeah. of even popu popular public opinion. A lot of problem, a lot of the problems with like, like, you know, these, these, these pop science people, you know, like you, you had mentioned Neil deGrasse Tyson earlier. Um, they are, so, so people who can do that, okay. First off, you, you, you kind of within your field, you kind of have to be, you know, up there near the top, you know, you kind of have to know what you're talking about within your field. Uh, but more than that, you have to be entertaining and engaging. You know, you have to have charisma. Yes. The, the issue, my issue with a, a lot of people that are, you know, in the public eye today, like him or, or you know, Bill Nye or whatever, is they, they spend way too much time talking out their ass. Um, you know, I mean, like Stephen Hawking talking about, you know, how aliens are going to come destroy us if they hear our signals and shit. He has no data to support that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so that's people look, that's, I think one of the reasons people are uh, a bit dismissive of the sciences in general is the fact that as people, scientists often express opinions uh, with authority. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. You know? Yeah. I mean, um, like, I don't know how many times I've read books by physicists who talked about biology. And I was like, nah, man, you may be at Harvard, <laughs> but that, that's not how shit really works. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because they, they get in this position and, and, you know, ego takes over, I think, a lot of times, you know, and, and they want to, you know, they want to do what's right. And they think they're doing what's right, but, but they really don't know what the fuck they're talking about. I mean, it happens like, like Bill Nye gave some kind of talk about like, uh, you know, he's all big on, on uh, you know, climate change. And he, yeah. he gave, you know, some, some talk about, you know, a hurricane meteorology. I'm not a meteor meteorologist. I was like, oh. and then you look at like a, a meteorologist wrote up like a critique of it. And it was like, that's not how any of that stuff actually works. Yeah. You know, um, the challenge is within the sciences. Um, do you know E.O. Wilson? Oh, yeah, sure. So E.O. Wilson wrote uh, some amazing works. Uh, he's considered Darwin's heir for those he's listening to the podcast. That's, that's the thing about him. E.O. E. E. Wilson. Take, like, complex things and 
explain them with an analogy that, yeah. that actually fits. Most analogies are bullshit. He, so he works I, it. I read one of his books, which was about evolution, about, mm -hmm. you know, species. And then um, I was going through the library and I ran across this other book called Consilience. Consilience, the unity of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And essentially what he was saying was, listen, uh, we know this about biology. We know this about physics. We know this about chemistry. The reason we don't discuss politics and religion in a bar is because we don't know enough to be able right. to make a foundation. And then right. what happens is, as all these pillars of human knowledge mm -hmm. grow, you make connections between all of them and they explain each other. The consilience, the unity of knowledge. And I was like, well, yeah, that, that's what I was doing in college, right? Like, I didn't think the math science department was, di and it was in a different building. It wasn't I mean, in that, Cal That's Russell. kind of what philosophy <laughs> is, though, isn't it? I mean, really. Well, it, I mean, it, but that's kind of like a combination of just understanding knowledge. The difference is you could be a polymath during Ben Franklin's time. No, you can't now, yeah. Ah, there's too much information. Yeah, so no even way. just between the biological sciences yeah. and physics, there's so much information that it's almost impossible to aggregate that information across disciplines in a way that's consistent oh, yeah. and concise. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I remember taking intro physics and I was like, holy shit, this is what math is for. And I was like stoked <laughs> on physics. I mean, honestly, I sucked it. I went to a math and science school. Um, I didn't suck at math, okay? I was in advanced math classes, but I was like at the bottom of all the advanced class. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was that guy. Like everybody's like, he's smart. He just doesn't apply himself, but I just didn't get it. You know what I mean? Um, and then I took physics and I was like, oh, wow, it makes sense now. I get yeah. it. And then, you know, I kept taking math and then I got to like, you know, Cal 2 and I was like, I, this is it. Yeah. You know, beyond this level, I, it's, you know, I, I'm not going to get it, you know? Um, I think a lot of people just, they never get to that point where they recognize their limitations, you know, like Aristotle's like, I'm an idiot, you know, and everybody's like, that's why you're smart. You know, I, I, I think a lot of people never get there, you know, they really like, you know, the Jordan Peterson guy. Yeah. The psychologist. Yeah. Smart guy, obviously. Um, you know, I've watched some of his lectures. I don't think he's a good teacher, um, but smart dude uh, knows what he's talking about with the psychology stuff. But he got in the public eye and suddenly became an expert on everything. Yeah. You know, it's like, it doesn't work that way, dude. I don't care if your IQ is 156. That, that, that doesn't impress me at all. Sorry. You don't know the, the basic information to 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 make an informed decision you yeah know? and i'll put things on facebook sometimes and i'll be like you know is this yeah because i'll see things and i'll be like this this seems weird and i'll be like is this right can anybody you know substantiate or discredit and nobody answers nobody i put some inflammatory shit you know like uh, <laughs> orange lives matter and it's a yeah. picture of, of, of trump yeah and I've got, I've got like 20 goddamn comments and 100 likes yeah i asked some, someone to can you inform me about something? And nobody wants to tell me um, because when it comes down to it, nobody really knows this shit. Social media platforms and the way that the algorithm weights things. So I run a massage therapy group called Massage Entrepreneurs. It's got 15,000 therapists on it. Mm -hmm. 
I can post a video that is providing video education for 15 minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm demonstrating techniques, showing people how to work on the lower cervical spine around C6, C7, whatever. Yeah, I need to watch that, yeah. No, no views. Nobody gives a what? shit. Then you post, you ready? Hey, Mr. Pure Relief, if you're out there, contact me. You need to be on the podcast. Mr. Pure Relief is a lovely black guy who does like sexy, like pulchritude, black booty <laughs> and oil. Massage therapists lose their mind. So here's what happens. The public likes it because yeah. it's massage and it's sexy. The massage therapists hate it, but both groups are commenting on it. So it's favored in Facebook's algorithm, algorithm yeah. and they show it to more people. So a, a therapist comes in, they go, I don't understand. This is crap. Why is this even legal? Does this guy have a license? And I'd say, ma'am, you may not like Mr. Pure Relief's work, but you sure do a great job of promoting him. No shit. And they're like, what? I don't promote him. And I'm like, ma'am, you just shared his video to 15,000 people in this <laughs> Facebook group. Like, <laughs> yeah. edutainment. You talked about higher education being a Ponzi scheme. Part of the problem that universities are having is information flow is less and less expensive every day. Yeah. And the cost of education and higher education is going up and up and up every day. Mm. Yep. And the thing is, it's like, yeah, the printing press led to the Protestant Reformation. I keep holding up my smartphone and going, what do you think this is going to do? Right. This shit is like going to dwarf anything the printing press ever right. did. And that's I, the what thing. I, what I worry about is um, there's going to be uh, there's going to be like a lag period. You know what I mean? Of I think I don't know a generation, maybe maybe more. Uh, where we're moving more towards uh like less you know personal communication in classroom teaching and things like that that's just gonna happen uh i mean it has to like just look look at energetic purposes do people do we really need like four thousand people driving a hundred miles every day to go sit in a classroom I mean, it's, it's yes, happen. that is that is the only way education can be delivered. Sam. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I talked to my dad. You know, my dad was a teacher yeah. for like almost fifty years. He's like, "We got to get these kids back in the classroom. Fuck this COVID." I'm like, "No, <laughs> I know that. I know yeah. that." And there isn't. You know, there really isn't. It's not the same. You you can't you can't do the same kind of things. Uh, there's you know, once you put in that that added level of it's already hard to connect to students. You know I mean, I mean, you know me, I'm, I'm a goddamn clown, you know? I'm, I'm like, you know, self-effacing and, you know, poking at the students and stuff, trying to, you know, get them to do something. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's almost like, a, um, you know, like, like, a, like a stand-up routine or like a, a music performance where, you know, if you're listening to it on your iPod, you know, you, you kind of zone out or something and do something else. But if you're at the performance, you're there. Yeah. You know, so um, there is definitely a, there's a barrier there. But that's just a challenge. That's not, you know, I mean, that's not like, you know, the end all. That's yeah. just something we're going to have to overcome. But it's going to be hard. And I do think like for the next generation, um, while we're moving to that, this I, I think a lot of people are going to, uh, their education is going to suffer, I think. I, I'm, I get so lost because I think about 
one, how intelligent I am, and then what I, how I performed in school and the disparity. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't know always why that is. Um, like, you know, I think about the fact that I, I got an F in American history. I won't mention a teacher's name because my high school friends will harass me mm -hmm. uh, if I say anything bad about her. But, you know, I got an F in American history. I'm the guy who's like, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, I got like a 20 hour documentary on the Russian revolution. I'm going to watch. <laughs> that, no, I, the, that's the me. <laughs> the first time I took statistics, I made an F. <laughs> yeah. Right now I could grab that professor. Yeah. And show her things about statistics. She doesn't know. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she worked for like the, the Department of Defense too, you know. She yeah. was like, you know, but but my my whole deal with the thing about like school, you know, is I had a lot of dumbass teachers and a lot of them were lazy and stuff, but the ones who actually taught knew how to teach. But when you get to college, there's no they there's no instruction on, you know, communication or yeah. education, you know, and about half of those classes I personally think are probably BS, but there's like, you know, it's, it's pan for gold. Like I told you earlier, you know, like you, you, you do get little things out of that that are important. And, and a lot of college instructors don't get that. And so they, even if they know their subject material, they don't know how to teach, yeah. you know? And the educational process is not something that I was trained in per se. When I'm teaching classes, I'm winging it. And I usually just base it on students' questions and try mm -hmm. to refine how I'm delivering information. I think there's another piece because I'm not dealing with a lecture. Yeah, I'm dealing with people who are doing a physical discipline. Yeah. Hands on, as long as you have, you know, a, uh, you know, a plan for what you're going to do with your time, uh, it's a little different. With a lecture – man, things can go way off track real quick, you know? <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, talking about human sexuality with 18 and 19-year-olds, I mean, you know, imagine that. You're like, well, we're not going to stick to the agenda this time because, you know, they, they have questions, and I'm like, uh, I never thought about that. Like, we were talking about speciation, and some, somebody was like, oh, what about bestiality? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> all right, I'll explain how this works now. Unfortunately, I have to. You know? Biologically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I think of you as one of my more intelligent, kind of gifted, intellectually friends. Yeah, that's probably true. You know, it's mostly what I want to see is people like you, you know, bum-rushing social media and producing content. Like, when, when we uh, hung out in Hawaii and you were talking about, uh, it was some little fish in, like, development in Las Vegas, and you're like, you've... To, you know, like you pick it. Oh, yeah, like that, you're oh, just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. it's like it's like it's like everybody's <laughs> trying to save this goddamn pup fish that lives in one spring. <laughs> They're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. to save this one species that's fucking doomed, man. Even yeah. if people didn't suck all the aquifers out, they're doomed. So let's not focus on the fish. Let's stop sucking all the goddamn water out of the aquifer, huh? <laughs> that's a that's a solution. But, you know, they don't do that. They're like, here's a symptom. Let's fix this. And, and that's yeah. just, oh, God, don't get me started. about. Uh, 
No, I, but the thing is, I just found it interesting because it was this one species that I don't know anything about. And that's the thing. It's like your particular expertise in a certain area is needed. And I like when intellectuals in different areas are dealing with what I call edutainment. They're educating, but they're entertaining people with like information. Like I like geeky stuff. Um, I grew up, when I was in college, I watched a lot of the Food Network, particularly Good Eats with Alton Brown. Okay, Alton yeah. Brown basically taught me to cook. Mm. But what he was doing was he was taking the food chemistry from people like Harold McGee, who wrote On Food and Cooking, and he was Bill Nye the science guy, and like, like, like this is why your souffle does what it does. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, it like denatures the proteins. They like unravel in a certain way. Crazy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's just, that's like, Baking is almost like magic. <laughs> it really is. You know, it really is. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like for me, I didn't do well in physics. I didn't do well in chemistry. Most of the chemistry that I understand probably comes more from Alton Brown and Good Eats than it does mm. from anywhere else because it was practical. It made sense, like when you cook an yeah, egg, yeah. like, oh, wow. That's okay. what I was yeah. saying. I never got math, you know. Yeah. I really didn't. I kept trying, but until I took physics, I was like, oh shit, this actually does something. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not just like mental masturbation, you know? Yeah, it's got to be attached to something. And I think also not only what they're teaching in school, but the way that they are teaching it towards like what I consider an abstraction. You know, it's like if you sat down an art class and explained to me, well, this is what the human eye does. Right. And this is why certain colors show up because of the freaks. Whoa. Like to me, that's practical. It makes it stand out. Like, yeah. um, are you colorblind, Sam? Oh yeah. And then the discussion of the human eye and mm. biology. I thought I remembered that. It's like, why do colors look different to you because of what's going on biologically with your eyes? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get what you're saying, Robert. Get what you're saying, brother. I I mean, in a weird way, and I I think I was more depressed than college, I'm actually more optimistic than ever, Mm -hmm. but I don't think the problems have gotten better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there's like, it's like we were talking about like this whole watering down, like the internet has just been so reconstructive, you know, basically. I mean, you you know, you look at what happened in, in, you know, Egypt and, and really throughout North Africa and the Middle East from, you know, Twitter and Facebook. Really? Yeah. That, that like information flow seems so inane and stupid. You know I mean? Nobody's posting anything of, of consequence on Twitter. You know, I mean, really not, you know, people you don't follow think so? it. I, I honestly, I, you can't make an argument for anything in that many words. You can say, you can say, here's what it is, and then they can find it out for themselves, but you, you can't really teach somebody. You're just like... I, I think some of the best content online is, in my opinion, intellectually, intellectually, is between Twitter and TikTok. Uh, YouTube might be coming in third for long Okay, so, uh, like, I can, I can see, like, what you're saying from a point of, like, you know, if you want to expose something that nobody knows about. But as far as like teaching something to somebody that's beyond just a, a surface observation, I, how do you do that though on, on those, you know, in that media? You know? 
Well, and the thing is that that is a point where it's like if we were trying to read like a uh, a research study, there's a reason why you you give a you know a 20 character or however many characters it is. They changed it recently. You you give the character limit and a link so that people can dig further if they want to dig further. Mm. But most people in in the sciences, at least, like I'm part of the general public. I'm not involved in the sciences the way you are. I just want the bullet points. I'm like right. the 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 puppet fish, the what? <laughs> right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's like being able to put out information. I, what I tell people regularly, and granted, I'm dealing with massage therapists, is I always think about what Malcolm X or Martin Luther King Jr. or Frederick Douglass would have done with Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would the be tool. interesting, wouldn't it? You know, Ben oh, Franklin. Frederick Douglass would have been a motherfucker on oh, that. Oh, <laughs> He would have been hammering people. <laughs> it would be it would be Frederick Douglass and and Samuel L. Jackson together. You know, like I remember you know, reading reading some of his stuff in high school. And was like, this guy's balls are huge. <laughs> like he Frederick, couldn't even yeah. walk, man. He's got Frederick. Have yeah, Frederick there, didn't though. play. Yeah, Frederick didn't play. He did not um, care. You know, the the medium itself and the way that information is put out is one thing. Like I can't control Facebook's algorithm and what it shows right, me. Yeah. There's a vested because here's the thing again is is Facebook a public utility, yeah, or is it a for profit business? They can do That's, what they want. I feel they can do yeah. what they want, really. That's how I feel. They they and, they own it. It's theirs, you know. Yeah. And and that's the way that's the way I see it. And I just continue to use the platforms in the way that I can. So like after this podcast, there may be snippets of this that get cut and it gets posted on LinkedIn. Uh, and another snippet gets posted on YouTube or another snippet gets posted on Twitter or whatever mm -hmm. it is. You know, it's just me being able to put out information for free across platforms to be able to reach as many people as possible right. who want to come on that journey. Just like you were saying about Joe Rogan, one of Joe Rogan's strengths, and I actually listen to his podcast periodically, is he has pertinent viewpoints but he has the capacity to have you on and ask you questions to draw information out as a yeah, good interviewer. He, he, that's, what I, that's what I appreciate about him is um, when he doesn't agree with somebody, he doesn't get antagonistic yeah. you know, and try to argue with them. He's like, why do you think that? He's not trying to shut them down. And that's one problem I, I have um, primarily, primarily with the left. Because the right has always kind of, you know, kind of been like, a, <laughs> you're just an idiot, you know what I mean? Like, you're, yeah. you don't know what you're talking about. But, but the left, like within the last five or ten years, has especially, as soon as someone disagrees with them, uh, they label them. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you're a, a bigot or, you know, uh, whatever, and, and, and dismiss them and immediately, like, cut them off. Like, I don't, I can't hear anything else you're saying because I don't agree with you. And I just don't think that's a healthy way forward. The, the, the marketplace of ideas and democracy means that you have to have difficult conversations and debate. And every time there's a new presidential election, I get all excited because they're going to be a presidential debate. It's not a debate. It's talking points. Oh, yeah. Every time. They're, they're not having a real debate. This is not the Lincoln-Douglas debate. No, no. They're not sitting down with Lincoln, who's a lawyer, and then Stephen Douglas and really going into it for debate after debate after debate. When what you're talking about in long form, they're mm -hmm. having a Twitter conversation oh, where it's right. talking points. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, it kind of goes back to 
did you introduce me to Noam Chomsky or did I introduce you to Noam Chomsky? I don't remember. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, but about the same time, right? About the time yeah. we met, I remember yeah. watch, us watching Manufacturing Consent. Yeah. And I was just like, well, when he lays it out, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? You know? He's, yeah. Remember when he has all the newspaper articles out? He yeah. like lays them all out on the floor, and he's like counting the instances of Cambodia being mentioned uh, yeah. versus uh, East Timor. Yeah. You know, and you're like, whoa, you know, it's, that's crazy. The, the information flow, and, and this is where I'll have conversations with people and they bring up Ed Snowden and they bring mm -hmm. up WikiLeaks and it's like, I'm painfully aware, like I follow Ed Snowden on Twitter. Um, I'm painfully aware of the technological implications of giving away my data. Yeah. Now I have to, I feel like financially I have to give away my data so that I can use these platforms to be able to right. put out information. But you know, listen, I get a lot of scotch ads in my Facebook feed. They know I drink. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, in other words, they're collating that data. I'm, I'm aware that that stuff is going on, but you know, I have to make certain choices about how I use things to be able to put out information for my business to continue to grow and expand. Talking about the core ethics of how these platforms are used, it's like, again, you're getting to that thing about is social media and the internet a public utility or is it a for-profit business? Right, right. Um, I, I see what you're saying, man. And, and I do agree that certain aspects do need to be regulated on that. You know what I mean? Um, Honestly, you, you know how I am, and, and personally, yeah, I'm an open book. I don't give a fuck, you know. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah. I really, my, you know, anybody wants to look at my medical records? Yeah, maybe I've had VD once or twice. I don't know. You know, I mean, it's just, <laughs> who cares? You know yeah. what I mean? Like my my, I'm a private person. I am not an extrovert. I'm not a public figure, but like. I, I, it doesn't matter if my information gets out. Yeah. But in the larger sense, I don't want that to be the norm either. You know what I mean? Well, when, when we talk, listen, I don't know everything. I certainly don't know the programming and software and computer capacity the way Ed Snowden does. When we're talking about data collection, people have no idea like what's going on digitally. Like, I, mean, I just, I don't guy, think that the, yeah. That guy didn't know yeah. until he got into the position to find out. Yeah. yeah. And he like was a fucking computer master, you know what I mean? And until he got in there and saw what they were doing, he was like, uh, I knew this was possible, but I didn't think anybody was doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in an open marketplace, the marketplace of ideas, you have to have it to have democracy. If you start limiting information flow, you get to a point where you're going to be able to control the public narrative to a degree that makes me exceedingly uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about like free market capitalism and then like socialism or, you know, Marxism. And then it gets to this point where it's like, okay, I understand standard oil was an issue and the government oh, yeah. had to break up monopoly, hmm. but we're still having that debate. There's this tension in America about, well, how far are we capitalized and how far are we socialized? Like, you know, those issues are still being dealt with and the internet is relatively new. 
Like it hasn't been around that long. When I first used the internet in 1995, LSU's, you know, library. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had no idea that there would yeah. ever be a commercial application. I was like, you can't put a credit card on the internet. Right. Like that. No, that's not. <laughs> yeah, I remember back in high school, do you remember like BBS boards and FTPs yeah. and shit, you know? Yeah. Or you were like FTP to some college website and you're like, oh, they've got pictures of dirty ladies on here. <laughs> but it's like the internet continued to change. Now we have conversations about Amazon and people want to complain that Jeff Bezos has too much money. Amazon has too much power. The business, they've got to be broken up. And it's like, well, okay. I mean, yeah, then we're going to have to figure out as a culture what we want to do with that. But you have to understand Americans voted with their dollars and they said, COVID is dangerous. I'm going to stay home and just have the shit delivered to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. You know, um, I, I don't know enough about economics or, or you know, anything like that. Um, you know, like what's a monopoly and what's not. I, I don't know about any of that shit. Um, I, I think, I think the issue is just anytime you get a, a, a a person with that kind of like overwhelming power, yeah. things are not going to be good. You know, <laughs> I mean, really, you just, yeah. You 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 could be you know an an orphan, you know, who grew up on the streets, uh, you know, got beat by your you know step parents or foster parents and through your teens and was bullied, you know, and you know, got, got raped, uh, you know, when you went through puberty and all this horrible shit. And then when you finally get to that position where you have authority over others, it's really easy to forget being a victim. You know what I mean? Because you're like, I went through all that. I deserve to be in this position, you know? Um, and it's not something you can regulate. It's just, I think it's a legitimate concern though. Uh, because so many of the people who are in power don't know how to relate to me and you. Uh, having conversations about the upper 1%, and when I say upper 1%, we're not talking about a guy who's got a million dollars. Oh, yeah. Now, I met, I met lots of rich people who were just – I mean, they were like, I got a lot of money and I'm lucky, you know what I mean? And they knew what was up. They're like, tomorrow I may not, you know? They, yeah. they, you know, because they were still kind of dealing with day-to-day -day issues. But uh, you, you get to that certain level and, and your only thought becomes on, um, you know, I mean, really, sounds kind of dickish, but everything that you're thinking about is how to manipulate people at a certain point. And it, when it comes to that, I, I do sit back and think about this job. is I sit back. I'm, I'm serious. When I think about brand building, I have to choose right. a new name for what I do. And I've been thinking about like how to package market deliver, you know, how do you bring a, a me too level sense of ethics, civil rights, George Floyd, 
the common people, black power within my brand mm -hmm. to deliver that to the public so that it's not just what I do. They believe in it because of the reasons I'm doing it. It's kind of oh, like yeah. I'm setting massage therapists free. I don't want you to work for the big ma massage industrial complex. I want you to be an independent practitioner that can connect deeply with your clients. I think, I think part of that is, um, yeah, you kind of just have to be you, man. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I used to think most people, I used to think this, I used to think, okay, most people, all right, maybe they're not, you know, like deep thinkers, they're not looking into issues, but I used to think, okay, most people can, if they see an individual and see their actions, they can judge their character, you know, and make, decent decisions on what that person, you know, how that person's going to respond to them and things like that. I don't know if I feel that way anymore though, man. Like, like I, I honestly used to think that if you're genuine, you know, people are going to, you know, recognize that. Uh, recent things that have happened have really called that into question for me, you know? Hmm. Um, See, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you, how do you, yeah, I don't know how you promote yourself like that, man, because I've never been good at that. I've always been the worst self-promoter. Like I would go on a job interviews and like on paper, I should have been like hiring the person who hired me. You know what I'm saying? You, yeah. you, you look at like my, my, my CV or whatever. And I'm like, I should be running this place. I go in the interview and uh, I, I leave the place. I'm like, I sound like an idiot. You know, um, it's, it's the ability to appear um, competent isn't very strongly related to actual competence, I'm afraid. I mean, it, maybe I'm wrong on that, but it, that's I've seen it a lot. Well, I mean, people probably, I want to use politics as the, the prime example. Um, people would say about Trump, well, yeah, he just... He knows what he thinks and he thinks what he knows and he says it and he's direct. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if he knows much about the biological sciences. Like, I don't, I don't think that's his forte. Like uh, just his level of confidence, mm -hmm. like in a certain area that he may not know a lot about doesn't impress me. Like if you start asking me about the biological sciences, now I can talk shit. If yeah. you ask me about bluefin tuna, I'm like, okay, you need to be an extemporaneously speech about, speak about bluefin tuna for 30 minutes. Sure, I can do it. It doesn't mean I know a lot about bluefin tuna. Mm -hmm. But you have to have that certain level of confidence to get people to, I think, come along with you when it comes to politics. Oh, yeah. When it comes to self-promotion, the thing that is the issue is people don't engage with my business for me and my benefit. Right. They engage for them and their yeah. benefit. So right. for instance, in my industry, 80% of massage therapists in the United States are women. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that I'm fundamentally solving some problems for women in my industry, but I don't think they see it at first because they see the guy with the beard who's arrogant. They see another white guy that, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a matter of not the message or what you're selling. It's a matter of like changing the marketing and the packaging so that I'm having uh, female colleagues speak for me That's in the video and the ad. I mean, it it's hard to really be yourself and still 
put forward what somebody else wants to see. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to be genuine and promote what you want somebody else to see in you. It's hard for me anyway. I don't know. It, I, I think it, it, it might depend. Like when you, so when you say genuine and when you say what would you want people to see, mm. I think a lot of people think that the marketing is like lying to people. And that's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm no, saying no, is I've specifically like civil rights issues are an issue for me because I don't like when my neighbors are pissed off. And mm. I don't like when my black neighbor gets pulled over by the fucking cops. And I'm literally mm. nervous when I'm driving down the road because I don't want to see my neighbor die because mm -hmm. of his skin color. Like these are issues for me, you know, women's issues. Like I have a mother, I had a grandmother, I have, right. you know, female colleagues that I don't want to have to deal with this shit. So to me, it's an issue. But if you're taking your brand and rolling it into that, mm -hmm. it's like Tesla. Tesla might be introducing novel technologies, but there's a green initiative behind what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They're using high tech science to solve environmental problems or at least okay. an attempt to do so. When you take that earth first kind of notion and put it inside your business, people can ally themselves, align themselves with your business because of why you're doing it. Right. So it's like if, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to think of other businesses and, and how that, uh, you know, comes across. But if you're a business that's dealing with you know, civil rights related issues, you know, if you're a black owned business, there are notions where I think what people think is going on in marketing is like, it's lying. Like advertising, advertising has changed because people are tired of being sold something that's, you know, better, quicker, faster, cheaper. Ultra. Remember yeah. when, like everything went, oh God, I forget the progression. <laughs> but it was like, there was like this, remember this progression of like, um, um, constantly aggrandizing what it was like it got bigger and bigger back in like the 80s and 90s like it was it was um great and ultra and i forget there was a whole those and they would all they all use the same words is what was funny yeah 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 i know what you're talking about the the storytelling like i had uh, a colleague talk to me about this recently and he's like robert you know you you suffered with chronic pain man like you never tell the story about you being hit by the drunk driver when you were at LSU, yeah, yeah. you know, dropping out of school because you had chronic pain and then like going to school to like help yourself out of pain. And then now you help other people out of pain. And I go, huh, that's not what I've been telling them. And he's like, no, not, not the way you like, I've seen your, your, your trajectory in your business. I don't think you're telling it the way that the audience, you know, needs to hear it. And that's when you say it's hard is, I mean, fundamentally, I feel like the work that I'm doing, including the thing like the time massage jam, is solving some of the core issues we're having as a society. Not all of them, certainly not in the biological sciences, well, but I, I think, in, I think in the middle of an opiate epidemic, my work helps. Yeah. Now, it's not a total solution. The Sackler family's got to be dealt with. You know, regulation I, I has think, to be dealt with. I think that maybe the part of the reason why you can do that is that it's not self-promotion. Your brand is not Robert. You know what I mean? You're promoting what you learned and, you know, I found this out and this works. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I Frederick mean, I Douglass was not just I mean, promoting that's, that's Frederick Douglass. You know? 
Frederick Douglass was promoting civil rights and human rights. Right, yeah. And that and aligning yourself with that business, if you will, is like the thing is the hard work is Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X having discussions about the business implications of systemic racism, where black people can't get loans to be able to get a house to be able to make okay. money. Like oh, there's a financial part. Because that's the hard the work kills me now about MLK. Okay, yeah. so like, so like for, for you know the black community, he he's a saint now. Yeah, and, and for the you know the white community, it's kind of a split where he's either like you know, oh you know he really you know he he was this you know revolutionary guy or he's like this pariah, you know what I mean? But but even like even when people look back at what he said and what he did, they all represent it as you know blacks being oppressed but his whole message went went beyond the reason you know the ultimate systemic problem re related to this you know generational poverty and he spoke about that on more than one occasion and that's just been washed away you know i mean it's you're you're getting into specific nuance, and that's why we have historians. Unfortunately, in MLK Jr.'s uh, situation, we actually have video and recordings of his sermons and speeches. You know, one of the things about business, like I find it interesting. People look at me and they're like, "Ah, he's just an evil white guy engaging in business. He just yeah. wants to make a lot of money and drive a Lamborghini." And I'm like, "No." I want to do the hard work on the road of actually changing the fucking world. And the way you yeah. do it is through business and it's through finance I, and it's I, through I, economics. You know, uh, unless you have like, you know, fiscal power, you, you really can't do much. Well, this is, this is what look, growing up as a poor black child in Louisiana taught me. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're in poverty, can you help people get out of poverty? You, 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 can, you can start a neighborhood garden, you know, it's, 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 it's a slow, it's slow and, long and, haul. And that's, that's what the issue is. It's like my success fiscally allows me to take people in poverty and help lift them out. Yeah. And including my black neighbors. And yeah. that is the issue that I go back to again and again. I've had people, I, I, I get this sense sometimes they talk to me and they're like, dude, you're like the once in the Lorax. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so you think I come in and just chop down all the truffula trees to make <laughs> shit so everybody has a thneed? Yeah. It's like you don't think that I'm engaged in actually producing things that are good for the environment, that are good for human connection, that actually promote sustainable habitat for many species. Like, because I think they have a – like business is evil it's just this oh, general yeah. kind of like 1960s hippie thing where it's like business is bad it's like listen the grateful dead had a business jerry yeah. was on heroin yeah. jerry was dead for 20 years and they yeah, had a reunion yeah, show and made 30 million dollars in a weekend it's no, like was, those um, hippies were good at business i was looking at um you know uh yeah my, my boss always sends us um newspaper articles about you know, environmental issues or, you know, uh, business closings and things like that of, of places that, you know, or, you know, some people might be inspecting in our department or whatever. And I, I was sitting at the table and I was like, oh, wow, they, they, they closed down another, uh, what was it? Uh, it was, it was one of the steel plants. They, they just, I think it was a, 
a blast furnace, you know, and they just shut one down. Like they had four and then they'd already shut down two and then they just shut down another one. So they had one blast furnace running. I was like, Oh God, they shut down the blast furnace out in uh, you know, Portage or East Chicago or whatever, you know? Um, and my daughter, she's, she's 15. She was like, Oh, that's good. And I was like, not really. <laughs> not really. Cause <laughs> that means a bunch of people are going to be on unemployment and somebody's got to pay for them to eat and, you know, pay their rent and shit, you know? Um, yeah. You know, so it, it's just like, man, I went to a, a neuropsychologist because um, I, I was trying to, basically I was trying to get Adderall and, you know, yeah. everybody's like, you're over 40, your heart's going to explode. <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, nah, dude, I got a job. I got, I got work to do, you know? Yeah. And, um, so I went to this neuropsychologist and uh, long story short is, uh, like if, I don't know, there was, he didn't give me a, like a definitive scale, but it goes positive to negative. And he was like, you know, if you're on the negative, you're a little ADHD. We've had people up like negative 3.5, being up to negative five, you were negative 13. Yeah. So long story short, I got an Adderall. Yeah. Where was I going with this? I forget. <laughs> what were we talking about to begin with? I'm sorry. Uh, well, you started talking about neuropsychology. Um, I'm trying to remember what I was discussing. You talked about the, the plant that your daughter was 15. And right, like, right, right, right. Yeah. So, so like, I went in and like basically had all these, you know, brain tests done, you know, um, and um, yeah, I don't remember where I was going. Never mind. We'll, we're bringing back to the next podcast. Well, I mean, you know, when you're looking at people and like neurotypicals, neuro neurodiversity, it's kind of like, I, I don't know what to say about this. Like um, I've been listening to a lot of little peep and then you brought up Van Gogh earlier. Van mm. Gogh was not a success during his lifetime. He didn't sell yeah. a lot of paintings. Yeah. Now, one, now he sold one, right? Like, yeah. Like, he, he now he's regarded as one of the most influential painters of all time. I went to that museum in Amsterdam and it was amazing. Blue yeah. mind. And the thing is, like, I, I have this weird thing because Little Peep was, I think, 21. He had just turned 21 when he died, I think. Um, and I listened to his creative output and I'm like, there, how? how did this guy so young, like produce this, like this has real like emotional depth, mm -hmm. you know, for an artist. And then mm -hmm. you're kind of sad because, well, he died. But the thing is he was likely using drugs to medicate himself, yeah. uh, both for depression or whatever yeah. issues he was having, maybe related to like bipolar disorder. You know, it's like the issues with America and taxation and the healthcare system and the pharmaceutical industrial complex is this thing where it's all, you know, interconnected. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like, on the one hand, you, you shut down this plant, but then you're old enough to go, wait a second, those people are going to lose jobs. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's not commonly being discussed, I think, in the age of Trump's administration is, you know, Trump kept promising to bring, you know, manufacturing jobs back. But the manufacturing jobs are not just being shipped overseas. It's that automation and technology is eating industries. Dude. Dude, I remember 10 fucking years ago when, um, what's the guy from, uh, not Ted, not, not Ted Kennedy, the other guy from, from Massachusetts, the other senator that ran for president, what's his name? I don't know. They, he looks like Frankenstein. Not, Hines, not politically astute, I don't know Hines. who he is. She, she was rich, Heinz family from, oh God, what's this guy? Carrie, Carrie. Oh, Jim, Jim Carrey? No, John no, that, Carrey? That's, that's that the guy with funny faces. 
<laughs> That's a comedian. Yeah, so John Kerry, yeah. the big ugly dude. Yeah. Like, um, I remember like listening to him and at that point I had kind of, um, like just, you know, the Republican party held nothing for me, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. After George Bush got elected and he was like, you know, we are not the police of the world. And then, you know, he goes and invades Iraq because he was pissed. I yeah. was like, okay, I'm done with these guys. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then I see Kerry, I see Kerry saying, I'm going to bring back jobs to the Rust Belt. And I'm like, yeah. no, no, you're not. That's not possible. And it's, it, and like you said, it, it's over, you know, outsourcing is part of it. But God, I can't remember the figure, but it was like 20, 25% decrease in jobs is strictly due to, um, you know, robots and shit, you know, mechanism, you know. Automation. Yeah. The thing is, we, you know, you, you come of age in a certain time with the technology that's given. And when I was a kid, I played Atari. Now I'm on a smartphone in my apartment pressing buttons and like, recording something via a small pocket computer that completely dwarfs anything that missile command right. <laughs> you know the the progress and pace of technology is part of like what we're dealing with is that it's changing so rapidly you know i i came of age uh, loving music in college and looking at the music of New Orleans and the Deep South Mississippi blues music, and like blues musicians were taken advantage of by recording companies. Oh. Well, now Terrible. distribution is such that you don't need a recording company. Yeah. You can just go direct to the public and like release stuff on Spotify. It's like the whole thing is like completely changing the nature of information distribution in ways that I particularly like because I think long term it leads towards liberty as a long arc. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. talked about justice and described it as a long arc. You know, it's like Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X were both assassinated. I had to explain to someone recently that, like, there's a reason Black Lives Matter doesn't have a figurehead because they figured out that we killed them. Yeah. It's yeah, much I, harder to get rid of an idea. Oh, dude, dude speaking of that, I have gotten in, in, in a couple discussions, like trying to explain to people how, you know, Antifa or Black Lives Matter can't be a terrorist organization because they have no established hierarchy. And they, yeah. like, people don't get that. They're like, no, yeah, they do. I was like, wait, because some guy out in Oregon leads a like county group that has 60 people in it. That's a terrorist organization. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, all right. And we're done. Well, I mean, I was a philosophy student. It, it's so what I've noticed over the years and I get in trouble for this is like you mentioned the use of the N word earlier. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. I'm able to perform a thought experiment. Mm -hmm. And this is what I did in college was I could sit back and just become a point of awareness and like, look at a multitude of opinions and from different vantage points. Like I could have a debate where let's say we, we were of differing opinions on an issue, mm -hmm. but I had to understand your discussion to be able to debunk it logically right. or vice versa. Most of the general public in the United States is not adept at that in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. And that's part of the, the challenge is, you know, we're still debating, you know, things that, you know, the Greeks and philosophers were debating from some of the ideas they got from the Egyptians, you know, thousands of years before. We're still debating, like, 
like I, I just piss people off because I'm so comfortable asking questions. I'm like, well, what is the good? And they're like, fuck you. We hate you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I mean, but they put the, they, they put Socrates and Jesus to death, but that's what I do. <laughs> you know, It's like, it's the only thing I know how to do. I get in these internet discussions sometimes. And sometimes like, sometimes like <laughs> the responses, I just feel like, you know, pressing straw man, enter ad hominem, enter <laughs> red herring, enter. You know what I mean? Now, if you go to Google, this is shit you can look up on Wikipedia and you figure go, out why you're full of shit. If you it's go like, to Google, it's like, it's I guarantee you, Wikipedia. I guarantee you, you can look up logical fallacy in Google and find graphics that you can download, so that whenever you have a debate on Facebook, you can just like red herring. <laughs> just, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> It's like, did these people, like, oh, like, and they'll try to argue with me. Like, yeah. I put up a thing on Facebook yesterday because I, I constantly see, um, I constantly see guys. For some reason, it's always guys trying to do the little missy thing to women. Like, oh, little missy, you don't know about how things really work. <laughs> I'm a man. Let me tell you, you know? And, yeah. dude, I have ripped apart so many dudes and it's always a, it's always a woman. It's always like I don't want to be nobody's knight in shining armor. You know what I mean? But but these, these women are like, what an asshole! And they just like you know they blow yeah. it off. And I've been I've like, been accused. Woman, it just makes me so infuriated. Like you're trying to bully this woman for no reason. Yeah, I, I've been accused of mansplaining more times than I care to recount online, uh, especially within my own industry. But usually it's just because I have a differing opinion from a very different vantage point. Yeah. And they're not really willing to engage in the debate. You know, it's like I'm willing to have the difficult conversation. And here's the other thing. I'm actually willing to change my opinion. Oh, yeah. Right. Which, is, that, which is the problem with America. That's the, the core debate. of debate exactly. is not just, okay, should we drain the aquifer or leave the aquifer alone? Right. It's being willing to say, no, no, what we're trying to do is achieve to a higher level of truth right. together. And we're debating these ideas to figure out what's best for America. That's the conversation that has to be had. And I don't think it's dead. I just think that in an excess of information, you know, like what is true anymore? Like we have a president who regularly talks about the fake news. Yeah. I, the, the thing... The thing that, that like really gets me about like the the hard right movement that's been going on lately is that there's there's kind of this like just whole cloth acceptance of these broad conspiracy theories that there's no evidence for. You know, like you yeah. know George Soros has been paying the protesters, right? <laughs> Have you heard this? <laughs> Oh, I've no. heard this many, many, many times. <laughs> okay, so the guy's got enough money, he could pay for whatever he wanted to, I guess. Yeah. How's he paying all these people and there's no paper trail, you know what I mean? And, and furthermore, I know several people who have gone out on protests and I never saw them get a check. Yeah. yeah? It's, uh, it, it, I, it's like there's this, there really is a disconnect right now where people... I just don't think are listening to each other anymore. Yeah. I think, I think we're at a point where if you, you disagree with me, then we're just going to agree to disagree. It's like, nah, man, because one of us is wrong. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying there's an objective truth on everything, you know, okay. Yeah. You, 
you can disagree with somebody and both of you can, you know, maybe be right in your own way. But for the most part, man, shit's either one way or the other. I mean, it's there's like, shit's gray, but I mean, there's yeah, always like. I, I think of Lenny Bruce and then Noam Chomsky when it comes to freedom of speech. Like I protect other people's rights to be wrong and mm -hmm. to say it publicly. Mm -hmm. And I defend that because it's not defending everybody who thinks like me. That's easy. Right, right. It's defending people that you don't like, who have opinions you don't agree with. That it's like, well, they still have the right to say that. You know, thank you, Voltaire. Kind of goes back to those concepts. That comes back to my whole thing. My, my, I, I, I don't understand the um, this polarization. You know, with um, the right has gotten a lot more you know, just entrenched, uh, basically since Newt Gingrich, you know, and in response to that, the left has just turned into a bunch of, uh, fucking assholes. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, they have. They're like, they're like, oh, you don't agree with me. You're bigot and you hate everybody. And, and it's like this assumption. And I've, I've seen this on both sides on the internet, but there is this assumption that if you express an opinion different from the person you know who made the original statement yeah always not always I, I, my my shrink told me not to say always more often than not um that person is going to come across and say you think this therefore you think this 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 and this you know and it's like i made one statement and you think you know everything about me now yes yes I, I see that it, it, i over and over again i see it and i'm like how do you how do you make that jump you know what i mean because you disagree with me you're the enemy therefore you are in this category and and that's what really bothers me is is this whole idea that that we can block people off put them in this category and then ignore them you know i like i said i hate i hate the hot button like cancel culture, these like little, you know, words that people throw around and shit. But yeah. that that isn't that is something that that is happening more and more. Like uh oh god, uh Louis C. K., right? Like jerking off in front of women. I when I heard about that, I was like, Yeah, okay, I'm not surprised. You know what I mean? Yeah. Disappointed, yes. Surprised, no. But they put it on the same level as like in Harvey Weinstein, you know? It's like, you don't need to destroy the man because he's just, you know, a person. Yeah, I mean, Sam, you, you grew up in Mississippi. I grew up in Louisiana. And I've had to have this conversation with a lot of people in regards to racism. My grandfather, my maternal grandfather was from Mississippi. Uh, he was involved in the military police. Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, I think he may have been bipolar and he uh, hit the sauce really regularly. Yeah. Now, he was not a loving grandfather whose lap I sat on. I just went and saw him during the summer for a couple weeks to go fishing in, in a yeah. rural area in Louisiana. My grandfather would not watch the Cosby show because oh, yeah. the N-words N were on it. And it was like, right. as a kid, here's what you do in the South, or at least this is how it was in my family. You're like, I love you, Grandpa. I'll see you next summer. And you'd go home and talk to your parents and be like, well, Grandpa's going to die soon. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you didn't, as a Southern kid, 
engage in like heavy debate with your grandfather who grew up in a different time in Mississippi with friggin' sharecroppers, you know, around the depression. Like he's not, he's, he doesn't have the neuroplasticity, unfortunately, to be able to change his opinion. I hate to say that, but Southern kids, Southern kids just dealt with their grandparents that way because that was just how it was. And it was going to cause too much family strife and it wasn't Mm going to have grandpa change his opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a little bit like that. Like I have conversations with people about uh, cannabis legalization and cannabis legalization. I talk to people and they're like, wow, this is really amazing that cannabis is being made legal. And I'm like, listen, the reason cannabis legalization is happening is a multitude of factors, but it's because old people die. Yeah. And conservative people who are older yeah. who die changes the, the voting marketplace and they go, whoa, we got real issues. Cannabis ain't high on our list right. and it becomes legal. It's like I hate to say when, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. talked about that long arc, mm-hmm. you know, it does have something to do with debate and rationality. Yes, but it also has to do with older people with less neuroplasticity are passing away. Yeah. You know. People have, have more access to information. Any of those Nixon tapes where he talks about like why he why he started the drug war? Have oh, you ever heard yeah. that shit? Yeah. He's just yeah. like he's like these 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 Negroes and hippies have got to be put in their place. We they all smoke reefer. And I mean that was like the entire basis of the drug war was yeah. to silence his political opponents. This well. When we, when we talk about it on a mass scale, um, I, I go back to George Carlin on this. I'm a huge George Carlin fan, and I think about this all the time. With all of our laws, with all of Wall Street, with all of the global economy, what happens to all the drug money? Do you ever notice that those billions of dollars just seem to vanish within the economic system? Like, nobody can seem to pin it down, Sam. Dude, like, dude, <laughs> if you can find it, and I don't know if they have a, I don't know where Google Earth, uh, you know, how far back they go. Yeah. But uh, get an image of, of Miami from 1980 <laughs> and compare that to 19, like 90, for example. Yeah. That's where the drug money went. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about, you know, money on a scale that it's not just a city. We're talking about narco democracies in Central yeah, and yeah, South yeah. America, yeah. huge corrupting influence. And it's like, what happens to the money? Oh, well, it just, you know, we don't, right. we don't know. We, we can't find, we can't find it. <laughs> you know, what, what fucks me up, dude, is we go into Afghanistan, right? We're going to oh, boy. <laughs> as soon as we do, as soon as we overthrow the Taliban, all those poor farmers start growing poppies. All of them. Like my brother was over there, and yeah. he was like, he, "Like I think I think when he was over there, he was like, no, they let us cut down the poppies now, but we have to leave the marijuana up." <laughs> like, well, that's not, that, that seems reasonable, at least, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, as soon as we went over there, it just, they all started growing poppies because they were like, oh, the, the Taliban's not regulating us anymore, you know? We can make yeah. as many drugs as we want. And the U.S. was like, whatever we can do to make them like us, sure. So for like two years, they just let them make heroin. Yeah. Yeah, it, 
I mean, there was a, a documentary whose name I can't recall that was on Facebook. It might be Drug Money, is maybe the name of it. But I felt that they took a very good stance on actually looking at the poverty involved in drug production, both oh, yeah. from Afghani farmers who have to grow poppies, because why? Well, the next most profitable crop they can grow is wheat, and it's 100 times less profitable right. than opium. Right. What are you going to do? You have a family to feed. Now, if you're a poor farmer that's growing coca in Colombia and Peru, why? Because there's nothing you can grow on that land that's going to be even remotely as productive. And it's like, do you care? They'll about fucking the, make you do it. They'll make you do it in Colombia or, or yeah. Ecuador or, you know, Venezuela. They'll I mean, force you to grow there. Opium and then coca production, th these are indigenous native things. Like, yeah. I don't think Afghani farmers for two seconds – give a shit about yeah. some Westerner who is like, well, I, I, I don't have nothing to do with heroin. I just yeah, produce man. opium. They're, I just produce they coca. Like, they, got, they had like 24 goats and now they have 17. They're like, I got to grow some poppies or, you know, my family's going to starve. Yeah. The, the economic implications, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the wire, but um, in the wire, I think it's Stringer Bell and one of his associates, like they're going through this process of trying to launder the drug money so they yeah. can be legitimate and the problems and trials because they figured out how to be successful in this black market economy, mm -hmm. but they can't be able to use these assets to be able to purchase real estate and go right. legitimate. And that's what part of the issue is. It's like, if you're a poor person living in the ghetto and you're trying to make it, are you going to go work in fast food? Or are you going to sell some crack? Yeah. Because the profit end of this is so much higher, you're going to be able to take care of yourself. And as a society, why do these people not have other options? Yeah. And they're like, oh, they're sure, they're sure they have plenty of options. And I'm like, eh, do you think so? Yeah. No. Do you ever read Freakonomics? <laughs> huh? Do you ever read Freakonomics? Mm -mm, no. I mean, it's pretty interesting. Um, it's, um, it, it, I mean, it's basically like a, this guy uh, – looked at some statistics and, and you know none of it is it's like cause and effect stuff you know what i mean um it's it's all kind of you know correlational but basically what he what he tried to do was take whatever data he could get on, on social things and and you know the you know he would look for a particular output like you know um violent crime and then he would you know okay what are all the possible inputs that could you know cause crime to go up or down and so he would you know have all you know socioeconomic scale uh educate you know all the basic shit you know and uh you know some other stuff and he started looking at it and um it, it was it was basically like these people who are selling drugs you know who are actually in the neighborhood selling drugs they never actually make it out of the, they never, they never go anywhere, but because they, they see their distributor, you know, driving a Lexus and wearing a Rolex and shit, it gives them that promise. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, I can do this. Yeah. And so it's like easy to recruit people because they know there's money in it. Yeah. Even if they're not at that, you know, actual end of it that, you know, profits, you know, yeah. you see the potential in it. Well, the Sackler family has led to the largest opiate epidemic we've ever had. It's funny, though. 
I don't think the Sackler family's in jail. Oh, no, because it's okay when it's the pharmaceutical industrial <laughs> complex and white people yeah. own it. It's like, and the thing is, there's all sorts of, like, basically they went, you got to repay some money. Yeah. So They uh, didn't, you, you they didn't do that to Pablo uh, Escobar. Do you remember me, Stephen, and Angela when we were in Hawaii? My, my wife's uh, sister and brother-in-law? Yeah, yeah. So um, they were telling me that uh, they personally – uh, felt like to some extent the nurses union was responsible um, really because, yeah because what they were saying was the the nurses union like whenever you come into uh you know a hospital or whatever and you have a a situation where you have to describe what's going on um and then you know they have to like figure out what kind of treatment the nurses union was pushing for um pain to be like one of the the deciding factors you know like what's your pain scale and then you know relieving that pain was it i guess because nurses are sick of hearing people scream you know yeah. i went into the you know when i went into the uh emergency room on uh sunday night you know i'm like laying in there you know moaning and trying not to curse basically so yeah. I, mean, I can kind of understand you know you work 12 hours a day you're going to be concerned about people having pain issues but what they were saying was um they kept pushing for this to be a, a diagnostic tool and so because of that um they started prescribing uh, opiates more regularly because the patients had to you know use this and the nurses had to use that as a diagnostic to figure out how to treat them I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything about it, but that's just what they were saying. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, no, there's there's intense, you know, issues. The, the problem I have is a guy on a street corner sells some heroin and goes away forever to jail. And the Sackler family, through legal means and resources, is able to facilitate one of the largest opiate epidemics we've ever right. had. And the government goes, right. oh, well, you know, yeah. it was legal. Yeah. It's like it's there's a lot of uh, complexity when it comes to that. Um, even... Now, uh, have you been in states where uh, cannabis is legal to like go into a dispensary? Have you had that experience? Um, well, I, I live right across the border from Michigan. Uh, okay. I haven't actually been to a dispensary. Um, yeah, I went to Washington State and, and Sam, uh, well, we have a history. We were in college together. I was a philosophy student, figured out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I go to Washington State to teach a class and I was like, oh, marijuana is legal here. And then it was like, because it's all new, because I live in Texas, right? And then you have to look it up, and you're like, okay, so, oh, do they have dispensaries, like, everywhere, or is it just in Seattle? And then I was going out to the, the outskirts to uh, teach a class somewhere, a, an hour or two outside of Seattle. So not only did they have a dispensary in the town that I was going to, but I pull into Safeway to get groceries, and the Bud Barn... <laughs> that's nice is in glowing green Wait. neon you know i got my groceries i go over to the bud barn and i walk in and a guy with you know like a long hair and a beard is like hey man what's up you know and i'm like oh my god this is legal he's like yeah man what do you want extracts hash <laughs> edibles <laughs> like it's like a candy store and i'm like oh my god like this is legal here and he's like oh yeah dude totally legal nobody gives a shit man you know it's like 
to be able to open a dispensary because cannabis is still a schedule one drug. Yeah. Banks, loans, like, you know, you have to use an ATM withdrawal because they won't do it through the credit card transactions. And the people who have 500 grand in Michigan to even start a grow operation. 500 grand, you have starting investment, not, not that, like to put into the business for insurance. You have to have that set aside over and above whatever it takes to actually create the business. Yeah. And the thing is, there's a weird sort of almost systemic racism around that because the same guy who has been selling cannabis illegally right. can't get into the legal right. side of it. Yeah. It's like, it, it's such a, a weird, you know, scene for me to see things uh, change over the course of our lifetime. And then also to see sort of the, uh, the larger business interest at play. So like in Texas, people would ask me, you know, when are they going to make, you know, cannabis legal in Texas? And I'm like, last. Yeah. And they're like, well, why? And I'm like, because people in Texas are making money off the illicit black trade oh, because we have the longest contiguous border with Mexico. And they're like, oh, I never thought about that. It's like, dude, there are people in Dallas and Houston who make, you know, billions of dollars smuggling drugs across yep. the border. Yeah. yeah. They don't want their industry to dry up. The, the, the wild thing is when you learn more about it, you find out that, those same people are friends with the people who are supposed to be keeping drugs out of the U.S. Yeah. That's what's wild about it, you know what I mean? Iran-Contra, Iran man. <laughs> I don't know if you did – you, did you see uh, – I think it was – was it Tom Cruise that was in it? He was playing Barry Seal. Did you see that? Uh, yeah. So there's there's an older film called Double Cross with Dennis Hopper that's about Barry Seal. Barry Seal died in Baton Rouge, by the way, at the Salvation Army on Plank Road. We used to pass it as kids all the time. Yeah. And essentially, there's another film. I I forget. uh, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's when Tom Cruise where he plays Barry Seal, but they go into a little bit more of like some of the details. And essentially what it was, was, okay, Barry, listen, you're a pilot. We got to get these guns down to Honduras or whatever. And Mm -hmm. he's like, okay. So they're illicitly hiring him. And they're like, here's a map. Here's how you get through the border without triggering any alarms. So he would drop off the weapons, you know, in Honduras and then go to Colombia and pick up Coke and fly back through the same route. And the government was like, what Coke? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's such a weird, you know, scene. But it's like, I joke with people about the fact that it's like, does anybody in the United States not know where they can get illegal drugs? It might take me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> It might take a couple phone calls in 30 yeah, minutes yeah. or whatever. But that's the thing that I, I think is so interesting is there's like a double standard going on. And I've gotten in, in you know, challenges from people when I talk about decriminalization or legalization of drugs across the board because they think it's, you know, it's just preposterous. But I'm like, it's there. It's not going away. Um, part of the issue with, you know, my industry in massage therapy, I'm completely serious about this, is there was an attempt to separate massage therapy from prostitution. 
and we use regulation and legalization and schooling and licensure to separate it from prostitution. But 80% of my female colleagues are still complaining about guys calling up asking for happy endings and shit. Yeah, right. And there's nothing that we, we can do legally. And I'm like, okay, make prostitution legal. And they're like, oh my God. You know, and I'm like, well, what do we do? Why not? I mean, my colleagues are still having worse? to deal with it's this legal? shit. Is it going to be worse than it is now? No. And that's that's been my argument, but it's about what I generally would consider, you know, victimless crimes. Here's the thing about drugs. If you look at, I mean, okay, you can't say, you know, I don't know why people do this, but you can't really say lab rats are a proxy for people. I mean, we're both inbred and we're both mammals. That That's about as far as it goes, really. Yeah. Um, the, the, it doesn't really work, but if you look at studies with lab rats given free access to cocaine or heroin at will, just a little, you know, beep, beep, they can get as much as they want whenever <laughs> they want it. Uh, most of them will, you know, even like heroin, most of them will try it a few times and they'll be like, oh, that was fucked up. They don't get addicted. Yeah, it's about a it's about a ten percent rate of addiction in rats, which isn't really that much higher than what we get just in society with it being illegal. You know what I mean? Yeah, is it really worth the effort when it's not probably going to have any impact on the amount of people using it? Minim minimizing harm is is generally how i how i feel about it and when it comes to my industry specifically i go well how do i keep women safe women are reporting this to me i don't have as many guys contacting me for hand jobs because i guess i'm not attractive enough but you know it's like it's a manifestation of the way that society at large is dealing with things and oh, yeah. i think that there are ways we can make the situation better and I think taxation of certain black market activities allows more resources to be oh, able yeah. to devote to minimizing harm. I mean, think about, you know, you just legalize weed, just, just weed, Coke, prostitute. We can throw one more thing in there. What else, what else can we legalize? Poker. You can play online poker in the land of the free. Why is that not legal? Uh, because gambling. because I've the never mob. You've <laughs> been awful, but you know because what? I firmly believe in your right to throw your money away, dude. I think that's your right, and you should be able to do it. Because the mob who owns the casinos doesn't want any competition. That's yeah, why. I guess that's it, man. Really, you know, they got a they got the market cornered now. So, yeah. And and that's that's the whole you know d discussion and, and argument. Um, I cut my teeth that's playing on online. That's what it all boils online. down to. Whenever anything's off limits, it's always because somebody wants to like corner the market. I mean, they're like using. The that's my argument the about regulation. Thing was based yeah. on hemp. You know, they always say it's to protect the public, and it's to we got to protect the children. We got to protect. We got to protect yeah. the public, and it always comes down to somebody's trying to control the marketplace and using regulation to give themselves a market advantage. Yeah, like I just don't. I don't fully understand it. I understand that we need certain laws to be able to keep people safe. But I feel like at a certain point, it gets to this issue where you have so many laws, you can't even figure out, like, you have to get a lawyer to explain yeah. to you what you can do yeah. to be able to try to work around it. Mm -hmm. Like I told you, you know, you know how I feel. Like, I think 
I think probably 90% of environmental laws are justified, if not necessary, for our health. But damn, dude, they're so complicated. I've been doing this job now for, uh, what, eight months? Yes, it's January. Eight months, dude. I don't know what's going on with air quality. <laughs> I have no clue. Yeah. I have no clue. There are like, like if I stacked up the pages of regulations, I couldn't show them on the screen yeah. because it's so complicated. So um, I'm in Texas. Um, I have three licenses in Texas as a therapist, <laughs> an instructor, and a CE provider. Jesus Christ. So when I go into Louisiana, I have to have another license to be able to teach there. And I can't see a client while I'm there because I'd have to get another license. Yeah, yeah. Then when I go into Mississippi, Mississippi makes me file an application specifically with their state that includes the information for my specific class. And you cannot do visceral manipulation. And I say, so is visceral manipulation the same thing as abdominal massage? But it's like, I don't know because I don't know Mississippi state laws. And they why is have very specific definitions and they're all different. Students, yeah, students across country, because they follow me online, they'll say, well, you know, can I get CE credit in XYZ state or is XYZ legal? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, what do you mean you don't know? I'm like, dude, there's 50 set of rules just in the U.S., I teach online to a global marketplace. There's yep. somebody in some there's somebody in sub-Saharan Africa from the Democratic Republic of the Congo that can study with me online for seven bucks a month through a smartphone. I don't know what the fucking laws are and I don't right. care. Like I can only I only have so many hours in a day <laughs> to try to figure all this out. Yeah, it's that like, is a that is a bad rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> You'll be like, oh, I can find this. And then you're like reading 20 pages of documents going, wait, it's just to refer back to this one to find out what this one means. So you're like going through like cross-referencing 10 different things and you still don't know what they're talking about. Well, you know, I'll have conversations. So uh, I read Texas state law because Texas is the state I'm in the most. So I need to understand the laws to understand mm -hmm. what I'm dealing with. And it's like, okay, you can't do massage without a license. But if you work under a chiropractor supervision – it's legal. Yeah. Because you're working under the chiropractor supervision. You know why? Now, the chiropractors already had a union. Because the chiropractors have people on state yeah. massage boards to shift the regulation to give them a market advantage. Yeah. And I go, well, listen, if chiropractors can do that, I'm a massage educator and CE provider. Why can't people work underneath underneath my supervision? They're like, oh, no, that's a, da that's a danger to the public. And I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. Do, I, I've been to chiropractors and been helped by them, and I, I don't want to, you know, you know, talk bad about them. There's like no real science behind a lot of what they do, though. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just uh, Ooh. a lot of uh, a lot of it's sketchy. Heavily, yeah, heavily debated, and also the problem that the chiropractic industry has had is the way that they're allowing lack of science education and they're mm -hmm. promoting business and marketing tactics that are <clears throat> strong arming people. Like oh, yeah. they're very like, Oh man, you got a horrible problem. You're going to have to come see me for a session a week for till the end of time. Yeah, so we can yeah, correct yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 it erodes the public's confidence in what they do. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like I said, I, you know, I, I've been to chiropractors and, and definitely been helped by them.
but, but I think, uh, I think they're, they're kind of skirting the edge of, of what, uh, you know, what's acceptable. I, medical. I practice. was a philosophy student and I have sat back, Sam, and I've said, well, what is massage? And everybody around me in legal term, like they lose their minds mm. and they're like, oh my God. And I'm like, well, I've read the law and I don't really think the law and the way it's written actually describes what I do. So if I rebrand under a new name and I don't call what I do massage, do I still have to deal with massage regulation? Mm. And my lawyer's like, oh, ooh, danger. Ooh, okay, listen, you got to consult with me. Yeah, yeah. To make sure we keep you on the legal up and up. And then I'm like, but hey, lawyer. And he's like, oh, you're teaching online. He's like, dude, he's like, there's no laws about information flow. Like, he's like, don't encourage them to break the law. Don't tell them to break the law. Don't, you know, school them to break the law, coach them to do it. He's like, you can teach online worldwide with nearly zero liability. What they do with it in their jurisdiction is up to them. Yeah. And it's like, then you're getting into this weird, you know, area. Um, when people talk about, you've talked about intellectual property and things that you've written. Like I have people who talk to me and uh, we were getting my materials listed on Amazon, um, mm-hmm. even in like a Kindle form. And people were like, oh, this is horrible. Like, you, you know, people, it's digital. People are going to steal it. And I go, huh? Like you're worried about people taking my stuff and like downloading it and putting it on the pirate bay and turning me into the Metallica of body workers. Right. Like, I don't give a shit. And they're right, like, yeah. but, but dude, people could steal your stuff. I'm like, listen, if a guy is broke and lives in Oklahoma, he can just write me a message on Facebook and I'll go, listen, here's a free copy. It yeah. doesn't cost me anything to build another fan and give him some stuff. Yes, I'd like to be compensated for my material and the things that I've created, but past a certain point, you can't control information that way. Right, right. Yeah, I, I feel the same way, man. And I kind of wonder, like, if, if the stuff that you're doing um, is going to s- gradually kind of start to, to chip away at that um, yes. the sort of in- institutionalism, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, where you have to have money to, you know, be on the edge of what's going on. And when you're on the edge of what's going on, you have money to secure that. Nobody else can get there. And it's massage just, education. I think. In most states, if, if we're talking about massage education, mm-hmm. school's $10,000. Jeez. My subscription service is $7 a month. Yeah. And the thing is, you can't get your license through me. And they're like, well, why not? And I'm like... Because the state has passed right. laws that prevents me from competing in that marketplace. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it's like, I'm not trying to, how do I put this? I'm not trying to break state laws. <laughs> I'm trying mm-hmm. to find a competitive advantage that allows me to continue growing my business and helping people. That's all. I think that when you introduce a superior paradigm, I think that Tesla is introducing novel technologies that are eventually going to take over. But it starts with the early adopters. It starts yeah. with the fringes and the edges. And, and then mm-hmm. over time, as you get mass market acceptance, the costs go down right. because there's more people involved. Yeah. 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 But for now, you know, like just talking to the massage industry and saying, well, why do we work on a table? They're like, what, 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 what do you mean? And I'm like, just work on a mat. Yeah. Use your legs and feet. Basically, I'm saying, why don't we do mixed martial arts instead of taekwondo? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. There's, there's, 
there's just no reason not to, you know, try new stuff. And, and that's, um, it kind of gets back to what I was saying about, you know, entrenchment in academia and this whole idea of the intellectual dark web, you know, it's like, I, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that's, it may be a necessary response, but I don't think it's actually going to get the required effect. You know, I, I, I think, I think what you're, what you're doing is what you have to do is you have to, um, you know, let everyone know what you're doing and, and you still have to try to somehow validate yourself within the system. Honestly, I, ju I just, you know, not everybody, not everybody's Nikolai Tesla. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even, even, even the greatest of, of people are mostly Thomas Edison's. Even the best of us, you know, really. Yeah. I mean, that's the best we can hope for is to be like him. The, the long arc of justice and truth, when I goes to business, I'm like, listen, does the service allow me to teach students or allow me to help customers with pain and mobility very rapidly? Yes. Does it outperform the market standard? Yes. Then you keep promoting it. Mm -hmm. You get more students. You have proof of concept and it continues to grow. You just have to get the early adopters. That's all. I'm telling you, man, you get, you've got a following now, you know, yeah. I, I really do think that, um, I think, I, I think what it, like, if you need help looking shit up, I'll help you look some stuff up, man. And I bet you can find some people who would be, um, very interested in what you're doing. Probably that would happen through podcast initially is I reach out to physiotherapists or mm. uh, physical therapists, other in, in chiropractors, people in related fields talk about it, it kind of mind data research kind of just like, it's not like real regimented and, you know, it's kind of out there, right? I mean, you kind of have to, it's fringe. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I mean, like, you, you, you talked about, that, I think, I you think, talked you about know. nurses and pain scale. Yeah. One of the things that people don't quite understand is like, they think we have a Star Trek, you know, whoop, like a yeah, scan right. Sam and know his pain levels. It's like, right. no, it's completely arbitrary. Yeah. Like, okay, 10's hospital, zero is no pain. And they're like, I'm a five. But I have no test to measure that. Right, right. Doctors don't have a test to measurement. We, we have to rely on what people are telling us. Yeah because that's as far as our science has progressed. Now, a hundred years from now, you know, we may look back and think that it was the dark ages. No, I, I bet, man, I bet you could find some people who would be interested in what you're doing, you know, because like I said, it's, it's, um, I don't know much about it, but it, it kind of seems, uh, I don't want to say wild west, but you know, just kind of like, you know, people are looking around cause everybody's like, God, everybody's on fucking drugs now. You know? <laughs> They're like, we gotta get we gotta you know get people to figure out how to do this without you know getting addicted and well i've I've started to have this thing yeah. where because of digital distribution yeah. I, this is what I think will happen. I'm kind of got this antagonistic relationship with my own community of massage therapists at times, but what happens when I flip everything I do towards the public and I go I'm going to show you how to work on your wife I'm going to show you how to work on your husband mm -hmm. oh he's bigger than you well listen I'm going to show you how to work on a mat using your legs and feet you're going to be able to deliver adequate pressure and it's not going to hurt your hands 
I actually think that going directly to the public will be a larger market mm -hmm. than who I'm currently teaching. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. Uh, what, what I'm, what I'm saying is like, um, as far as dealing with the establishment, you know what I mean? Like you, you've got, you've got your, 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 um, I want to say net niche, but you know, you've got your like area worked out. Um, and, and you know what you're doing there, but as far as like, you know, working like towards more acceptance, I, I really think you, you, I think you could get some, you could get some support with that, man. Because a lot of people who, who are doing pain research, like, like I said, it's not my, my field, but I don't think they really know a whole lot of what's, what works, you know? I think they're kind of like willing to try new things. I think it's probably in its infancy, and I don't actually know. Uh, Diane Jacobs is one of the figures. She's a Canadian physio uh -huh. who comes up regularly in conversations with some colleagues. And I've had my own run-ins with her that I could go into, but oh, yeah. um, I think part of her curmudgeonliness is having to fight even the industry she's within because she was questioning some of the physiological underpinnings of what people thought was the case. Uh -huh. So there's still debates again, because the science just hasn't been refined enough mm. and is not knowledgeable enough across a large number of practitioners to be able to say, you know, this is, you know, what the science says and this mm. is not, you know, well, so I guess kind of what I'm, what I'm getting at is like, um, you, you don't, you don't necessarily have to understand the proximate causes of what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like as long as you have a, a baseline, you know, and, and some output, you know, at the end of the study, it's like a black box, you know, you know, these people went in, they did this program, they were better. These people went in, they did this program, and they didn't get better. This yeah. program's better than this one. You don't know why, you know what I mean? So it doesn't have to get into like the technic technical, you know, anatomy and physiology stuff. Just, um, you know, it's just a, an initial study to show this shit works. We don't know how yet, but you know, this is probably why, you know, because I mean, you, you know why it works, you know, even if you can't scientifically demonstrate it, you know what's up. Yeah, I mean, I have clinical experience to back up what I'm saying, but double blind research is another beast that I have to do yeah. more research on and probably befriend the scientists who are doing some of that research to be able to glean See, information that's all from you them. need to do. I'm serious, because like, if you could get in with somebody and, and, you know, find somebody who's actually in pain who's just doing research. Well, so Do it on them, and then it'll be like, oh, yeah, okay. Here's where, here's where fame comes in. I had a, a, a colleague who's um, 
uh, a friend who is a he was wanting to go to the Olympics for beach volleyball. Oh, okay. And I would work on him, and he's like, dude, this shit. He's like, dude, you should be famous, bro. This shit. He's like, this. Oh my god, dude. He's like, dude, you got to work on athletes. You got to get athletes on here on like their Instagram, showing you doing this shit. Like mm-hmm. this shit is fucking balls to the wall, man. This is the fucking shit. Like, dude, athletes want this, man. Like this shit is fucking amazing. The difference is what you're doing is you're playing a game where, well, I show myself in Hawaii. I show myself surfing and swimming with sea turtles. You show yourself hanging out with Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan and Oprah Winfrey and giving them sessions. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I want to be able to refine it according to science and have an understanding of why we think it works. Right. Yeah. But you're, you're really playing a marketing game about fame. Oh yeah. I get that. Yeah. Exposure and reach. I yeah. get that. But I mean, but you don't want to be like, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, <gasps> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? G- Gwyneth, if you're out there, contact me. I'll give you a second. <laughs> Cool, man. Listen, I'm going to get out of here and probably get some food. Uh, Do you have like specific social media profiles you could tell the audience where they could find you online? Um, No, I mean, mean, I'm on a a Google Scholar. Google Scholar? Okay. Yeah, nobody's ever going to look that shit up unless they want to know about like ag ditches or something. Um, (laughs) Under under Sam Pierce, right? uh, Samuel C. Pierce on Google Scholar. Yeah. Uh, there's another actually there was another sam pierce in mississippi who was a medical researcher so yeah. whenever you look up like biology sam pierce we would both pop up yeah. and like it looks like i'm like doing all kinds of crazy research but yeah um yeah samuel c pierce and then i'm on facebook uh sam pierce and uh i think that's about it oh i'm on a linkedin too same linkedin okay cool so listen it was good talking with you we'll talk again soon i'm gonna go ahead and uh shut down the recording here give me two all right, seconds talking to you And uh, thank you guys for tuning in to the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. I'll talk to you guys again very, very soon.